This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone this is the other side of midnight tgif thank god it's friday thank god it's frank you know what that means not only is it the start to the weekend not only are we going to have some fun we'll show you how it's done tgif but that means it is time for the other side of midnight proudly presents ask frank ask frank anything ask frank anything ask frank anything All right. I am prepared to answer your questions on any subject. You name it. Any subject from A to Z. You have questions about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails. You want advice on a subject. You want to know my personal history. A lot of times I'll run into people say, hey, uh, you know, where did you go to high school? Who was your third grade teacher? What's the story there? Questions about pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, national politics, restaurants, New York. The criminal justice system, aliens, had a lot of good alien news this week. The mob, any hypothetical questions you want to know. My personal preferences on anything. Relationships, baseball, still in the middle of a lockout, I believe. Or the culture at large, now's the time. All you have to do is dial 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me preempt what I think will be a question before you guys call and ask it. And a bunch of you have already emailed and tweeted at me about this um, in terms of what the story is with Juliet Huddy. Now, to give you a a little bit of perspective, I've been for about a year co-hosting the 5 a.m. early news with Juliet Huddy. It's been a a great partnership. We've done very well in the ratings and uh, I've had a lot of fun working with her. It's been great. When I, uh, you know, when my wife gave birth to our son, I told management that I'd prefer not to continue in that role, and they were very understanding and accepting of my decision, especially given the fact that uh, that uh, that we have some big, big things planned for the overnight show in the year 2022, some of which I hope to be able to reveal to you in, uh, in January. So uh, stay tuned for that. So I'm not continuing on the early news anymore. Now, obviously, since my return, I have noticed that Juliet is not it is not on the early news. The short answer is I have no idea what the story is. Honestly, people may not believe that. They may be skeptical. I really don't. I spoke with Juliet the other day. Uh, she said she had some meetings here at the radio station. I don't think anything's finalized uh, about what her role is or what it won't be, but I, I have no idea. So it may be finalized. I just don't know. I can tell you uh, that I spoke to her recently and she's healthy. I know she when she went to England, she came back with a bit of a bug. Uh, she got a COVID test. She didn't have COVID and she's doing well. She's healthy. And um, that's about all I know. Honestly, I don't want to disappoint anyone, but that's about all I know uh, that that, uh, you know, that's the story. As soon as I know more and sooner or as soon as I can say more, I will. But hopefully that answers some questions such as it is. So if you're concerned about Juliet's health, you don't need to be. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Maria is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Maria. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Maria. 
Good. Okay, so I don't want to make a big deal about this, but I don't understand why uh, Curtis was um, talking so badly about you while you were away. Well, uh, honestly, I uh, look, I speak to Curtis just about every day. He called me right before the show. Curtis and I are I consider Curtis a close friend and Curtis doesn't have a lot of friends but to the extent that he does have friends I would venture to say that he probably considers me one of his best friends Curtis when he's on the radio unlike Curtis the politician you really can't take anything Curtis says too seriously. It's all shtick. So I don't take anything uh, that he said personally at all. I can tell you that within the radio business for the last 17, 18 years, I have had no better friend uh, behind the scenes than Curtis. He's put in good words for me with management. He's gotten me out, a lot, uh, out of trouble with management from time to time uh, at, th- at different radio companies. And um, he's, he's, he's always promoting me on his show. So I have zero complaints about anything Curtis said uh, about me. I just I don't take it too seriously. It's uh, it's it's meant to be entertainment. Some people may not find it entertaining. I, I get it. But that's just Curtis. 800-848-9222. Paul is in Manhattan. Hello, Paul. Hi, Frank. Hi. I have a I have kind of a strange question about your wife's pregnancy. I'm ready. Well, and it relates to you. I'll, too. Do, I'll do my best to answer it. If, she, if she's up right now and she's listening, she's welcome to call in as well. No, no, it's about you. Uh, do you remember exactly the day or the date when you found out that she was pregnant? Well, I remember. I don't remember the exact date. Was it March, April. Um, it was. Let's see. Um, I think it was. I think it, it, it was either March or April. Yeah, I think okay. it was early April. Um, go ahead. It relates to a call because I called you on the air. You were talking about at, at, way back in time, uh, one of these, uh, you know, these uh, uh, space shots about you wanting to go up on one of these space shots into orbit, mm-hmm. you know, the, the recent things. And I said right on the air when he said that, I said, you wouldn't do that if you had kids. And then at the time, you were you seemed a little taken back when you said, who told you that? Who, who let you know about that? Oh, like, no. So I don't think I knew at the time. Do you remember the date of your call? That's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah, I, 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 I so it was. It would have been. It was. It would have been. Um, it would have been in April because we went to Las Vegas in March, le- the last week in March, and uh, she was with child in Las Vegas, but neither of us knew it. So it would have been probably the first week in April that uh, that sh- that we found okay. out. Because because then it relates back to I was going to call up and ask you the same question the the Thursday the night that when she went had the baby. Ah, well, no, well, my answer is still the same. Uh, And thanks, Paul. I appreciate the call and your memory there. The answer is still the same. I would still go to space. Absolutely. With with children, without children, I would absolutely still go to space. 800-848-9222, answering your questions about anything. Stephen in New Jersey. Hello. Hi. I was just wondering why um, the unvaccinated are not allowed into restaurants if if the vaccine doesn't stop tra- um, contracting it or transmission. Stephen, you are far too logical to ever be mayor of New York City because you, <laughs> you, what you just said makes perfect sense. The policy doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, and I say this as a vaccinated person. I don't think the policy makes any sense whatsoever, but I, I can't answer as to why Bill de Blasio thinks that it does, uh, Stephen. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to uh, Mark in Connecticut. Hello, Mark. 
Hey, good to hear you. You too. Um, I have a question now. Um, I just heard the latest clip of Fauci on the news at uh, midnight here, and he was saying that he was shaming the unvaccinated, saying that uh, as if they're the only transmittable. But I've heard from my local uh, health department uh, in Norwich here that uh, the um, that vaccinated, even with the booster people, can get it just as easy and pass it along so just as easy. So it made no sense. So what's your question, Mark? So why is Dr. Fauci say, blaming the unvaccinated for spreading it when the vaccinated can spread it, although I, they're asymptomatic? I can't answer that, Mark. I, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Uh, the evidence that I've seen does strongly suggest that you're much less likely to get seriously ill, to be hospitalized and to die if you've had the vaccine. So to me, it's a pretty open and shut case. But, um, you know, I can't speak for Dr. Fauci. Victor's in Manhattan. Hello, Victor. Oh, Good morning, Frank. Uh, I've got a question for you. I know the answer, and I want to see if you know the answer. Of all the cowboy movies in, back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, of all the ca- uh, cowboys that portrayed cowboys in the movies, the, uh, the, uh, the movie actors that portrayed cowboys, whether it be Hopalong, Cassidy, uh, Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, we know them. There was only one movie actor who was a real cowboy in real life. Do you know who that was? I, I, I don't. Was it uh, Wild he, Bill he Hillcock? Had, no, no, no. He I don't know. For, who? Just tell had, us. Hoot Gibson. Hoot Gibson. Uh, what films yeah. was he in? I'm not familiar with him. They were B, B movies oh, in okay. the 40s and 50s. I'll have to look him up, uh, Victor. I'm not familiar with him. Eddie's in Nassau County. What's your question, Eddie? Uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, the question is, now that Adam Schiff has been uh, consistently exposed as a lying retard, is there any possibility that he can be stripped of his law license like they tried to pull that shenanigan on Giuliani? Uh, no, uh, no. Uh, you're actually uh, protected. And again, I don't think you should call politicians that engage in reprehensible conduct or people that you don't like uh, retards because, uh, you know, a lot of times historically that's a term that's been used to apply to people that are developmentally disabled. And I think it's unfair uh, to, to use those terms. And I, I would discourage people from using Using those terms, it could be very hurtful to people that are parents of developmentally disabled people or family members or, or you know, the like. But uh, no, you're actually protected um, from if you say something on the floor of Congress or in your service as a member of Congress, you're actually protected. That's protected speech. You're protected from libel. You're actually protect, uh, protected from a wide variety of things that rank and file Americans are subject to. Now, the Schiff situation is different than the Giuliani situation for several reasons. Um, Giuliani, the, in New York, they decided to suspend his law license because they ruled that he had made material false statements in court filings. Adam Schiff may say things that aren't true in, on television and on in the floors of uh, Congress, but he has not made any material false claims in court filings that we know of. 800-848-WABC. Pete in Piscataway. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Uh, I was wondering about Bob Grant. Was he forced out or did he retire on his own? And is this kid in radio? I know he was promoting his kid back then, sir. Uh, is Bob's kid in radio? 
Yeah, and was Bob forced out, or do you want to retire? Well, uh, Bob had v- various uh, various peaks and valleys to his career. The most, uh, and we'll talk about this maybe with John Minnelli coming up next hour, former WABC program director. But Bob, uh, in um, in '96, when he made those comments about Ron Brown, he was fired from this radio station, but that he got a job on WOR a couple of weeks later. Now, he worked at WOR for about uh, 10 years, and then um, he they, he was sort of gently prodded out the door from WOR. They continued to air a short-form commentary that he did, and then ultimately they discontinued that. And then about a year or so after that, he was rehired by this radio station, and he continued here um, on a nightly basis for for a time. And then he came back in 2009 to do weekends, and he continued to do that until right before he died, pretty much, right before he was uh, no longer able to do it because of his health. So at least it, he was never really forced out at the very end. He was fired in 96 when he made his controversial comments about uh, about Ron Brown. He was also fired from WOR back in the um, uh, back in the late 70s, I believe, when he was on OR in the 70s. No, no, his son is not in radio. He has actually uh, a couple of sons, I I believe. Yes, he has a couple from what I remember. I met them at his funeral and uh, they live in California. But uh, no, neither of them are are in radio. 800-848-WABC. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Frank, I'm surprised. Uh, Bombi Vonk like you at the cinema. You don't know who, who, who Gibson was. Hey, you know, I guess uh, I, I guess I'm I, I'm a senior moment here, Neil. I don't know what to say. He was my grandfather's favorite cowboy, Frank. Just just so you. Well, know. I, again, I put him on my list. Believe me. <laughs> okay. Well, my question is: I went to a holiday party today at a caterer on Staten Island. Had several parties going at the same time. Nobody was checked to see if they had the COVID vaccine. Uh, come to find out at the end uh, of the party, someone sitting at our table wasn't vaccinated. They shouldn't even have been there. Now, I understand uh, you don't agree with the law, but it is the law. Don't you think that uh, these places should enforce the law? Well, look, uh, I have mixed feelings about it, right? Uh, I think, look, I my heart really goes out to these restaurants because basically the city is putting upon, forcing upon them an unfunded mandate. They're mandating you have to check everybody that goes in, but they're not providing the staff to do it. Uh, my view is uh, the city, if they want every person checked, uh, they should provide the resources, either in terms of staff or reimbursement for staff, for somebody that can be the uh, the COVID police. You know, I have a tough time telling a small business, hey, you got to make sure you uh, check your list twice. And look, we have seen many businesses fined for not adhering to COVID restrictions. So I think the city is taking that pretty, pretty, pretty seriously. 800-848-WABC. Callahan is in Oakland, New Jersey. Hello, Callahan. Uh, Good evening, Frank. Um, I have a question. Uh, What do you think about Rachel Maddow for the first time? I read both sides of everything, you know? Good. And midnight. And midnight. (laughs) All right. So what do you think about Rachel for the first time tonight having on moderate Democrats to conservative, you know, in that realm, moderate, staunch moderates. And she's saying to them, we really want you back soon. 
I love talking to you, and they did have a conversation. So, what do you think about that? Who, who did she have on? I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't see the show, and I, I don't usually watch. Who did she have on? So I don't. Yeah, I, I channel surf a congresswoman from New Hampshire. Okay. Well, look, I, I, so again, I, I'm hesitant to uh, make too much of a judgment not having seen the segment or what she said, but if it's what you represent, and I'll assume that it is, I think that's a healthy thing, right? I mean, I think all these, I think the most boring thing in the world, and I'm going to get into this with John Minnelli in the two o'clock hour, and maybe even with Judge Napolitano when he's here in the three o'clock hour, I think the most boring thing in the world is to have a bunch of commentators, whether it's TV or radio, that all parrot the same talking points and then have guests that agree with 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 the hosts on everything and then have a bunch of callers that agree with the host and the guest to me uh, that's not the kind of thing that I want to listen to I want to hear uh, conflict I want to hear debate I want to hear respectful uh, contrary I want to hear diversity of opinion I want to learn from people that might not agree with me absolutely 110 percent I'm with you on that it's so much more interesting and it moves the conversation forward. Amen, uh, Callahan. Thank you. 800-848-9222, answering your questions on any subject. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. Missed you when you were gone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Frank, when um, I noticed on talk radio that, you know, a lot of the talk hosts have great bumper music. So when they play a little bit of each song, do the artists get royalties for that? You know, it's a good question. Um, we are dealing with that now as a radio station, and I don't know the specifics, but my understanding is that we as a radio station, and Matt Blaze can jump in here if he wants. He may be better informed than me. We as a radio station license certain songs to be able to play them on the radio, and then uh, the artist, one way or another, yes, does get a little a little something for for that song. Yes, that's my understanding. That is correct. Okay. There you go. Matt Blaze knows best. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Kat is in New Jersey. Hello, Kat. Hi, it's Pat, P-A-T. Yeah, first of all, congratulations on the birth of Carmine. Thank you. Yeah, I called you the first night back, but I was on hold for an hour, so I never got to. Oh, well, I'm Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not sending the gift until after Christmas because I don't want it to get lost. Okay. Um, I was just curious. Did you and Rachel ever get a Thanksgiving dinner? And what are you going to do for Christmas? Uh, no, I, we didn't really have a Thanksgiving dinner. I think I, I think I, um, I, think I, I, think I brought a, a a cereal bar or something. No, uh, but uh, not not that day anyway. Um, my my sister in law Sharon and my mom they both came over and brought some Thanksgiving stuff over that uh, Rachel had when she was uh, home from the hospital Saturday or Sunday. And uh, for Christmas, for Christmas Eve. We go to uh, my dad's uh, family, and for Christmas Day, we spend it with, with my mom. So that's our plan. Oh, so you're going to your dad's? Um, yes, yes, people? yes. We, we have uh, a very short list of people that are able to interact with the, with the baby at the party. But, uh, but yes, we're, we're going to go. And, uh, you know, I'll, just b- between us, Kat, uh, Pat, the, um, we, we've had so far 
in the last two weeks, 37 visitors to see Carmine. Now, we make sure everybody takes proper precautions, that uh, everybody washes their hands and they're super, you know, obviously nobody can be sick. And we'll, we'll take those same precautions. But, yes, we are going to Christmas Eve. It's just a, it's a very limited list of family members that are able to interact with Carmine. All right, if you want to jump on board, if you have a question, we have one open line. Now's the time, 800-848-9222. I tell you, though, I have a a rough night last night. As I was leaving to come to the radio station, I grabbed a shirt. And it's a shirt that's always fit me comfortably. And to be honest, I think it looks pretty good. The shirt was an extra large, okay? I put it on. I am busting out of this shirt. Busting out of this shirt because I'm now so fat that I can't even wear an extra large shirt and make it look like I'm not a, a, a giant sausage. So I had to change my shirt. I'm wearing this ridiculous looking Hawaiian shirt, uh, mainly because it's one of the only clean shirts that I could find in my closet that fit me. So why am I telling you this? Because if ever I needed a wake up call, that was it. And I am heading right after the holidays to the Skinny Center. The Skinny Center has done a great job transforming my colleague, Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly used to look like uh, Dom DeLuise meets John Candy. Now the guy looks like Bradley Cooper. The guy is in primo shape, and he owes it all to Mitch Suss and the Skinny Center. And so if it worked for Greg Kelly... I'm hopeful that it can work for me. They, it's all natural. They pinpoint abnormalities in your body chemistry that are the reasons that you overeat, that you crave sugar, and that you're always hungry. And it's worked great for Greg, and I'm hoping that Mitch can work his magic with me as well. So if you want to go on this same weight loss journey with Greg Kelly and me, you can give them a call at 914 914- Seven zero three four eight one one. They're based in Westchester County. That's nine one four seven zero three four eight one one. I'm yet to hear any complaints from people that have tried this. You can also go to the skinnycenter dot com. That's the skinnycenter dot com. You're hearing things. You're hearing things on seventy seven WABC. Teach Me to Dance. See, this song is a perfect example of what we were talking about. This is a song that I specifically asked our acting program director, Matt Meany, to license so that we could play it on the radio. So aren't you glad that I did? 800-848-9222. We are answering your questions on any subject, as we do this time every week for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. 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 
1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Joe here in New York City. Hello, Joe. Hi. Hi. Uh, hi there. Hi. I want to make sure I'm off the speaker. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, uh, 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 by Frank. the way, uh, Frank, uh, I have one or two questions. One is regarding, of course, Juliet. Now, of course, we now know, you know, for sure that she's doing well, you know. However, we would still be curious as to what's happening. Yeah, because I, in I, the morning, I don't know, morning, quite frankly, Joe. Okay, you are not even there. You're absent as well from 5 to 6. Uh, what's going on? Now, uh, as far as uh, do you have to be in combination with her on the same show from 5 to 6, the early morning news? No, uh, Joe, as I said, and I thought I made that clear earlier, and I guess I didn't, but as I said, no, that was my decision, irrespective of any co-host, to not continue with that uh, 5 o'clock show uh, because we're doing some – Big things with this show that are going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And uh, we're, I'm actually going to be, uh, in the coming weeks, launching an original podcast as well. And I'm pretty busy looking after Little Carmine as well. So uh, it was just a little much. And I feel like there are a lot of other people, uh, Frank Diaz, Jacqueline Carl, Deb Valentine, who are doing a, a better job than I could be doing under those circumstances. Vinny is in Brooklyn. Hello, Vinny. Hey, Frank, I want to say before I ask my question that your kid will give you back your youth and keep you skinny. Oh, good. I could use both. <laughs> but here's my question. Do you think you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time when something happens to you, when absolute law runs the universe that you get the consequences of your actions? Please don't say it's above your pay grade. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I even understand the question. Like Dominic, when bad things happen, he says on his show, "This person was in the wrong place at the wrong time," and yet there's a truth in life that everybody gets the consequences of their action. Everybody always says, "You reap what you sow." So I'm asking you, how can you be in the wrong place at the wrong time? When you reap the fruits of your actions. Well, look, I, I well, look, I think I do believe in karma. I think if you put a lot of positive energy out into the universe, some positive things are going to come back to you and vice versa. But uh, I have seen too many instances of innocent people being hurt or being injured by some random act of violence or an accident for me to think that those people are deserving of what happened to them. So, no, I agree with Dominic Carter. I think you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time. 800-848-WABC. Brian is in Manhattan. Hello, Brian. Morning, Frank. Uh question I have is ref- referencing John Batchelor. Mm-hmm. What's the latest and w- what's the reason he wasn't on the air anymore? And is he healthy what can you? How can you update your audience? Yeah, well, he's there? actually he's actually on another radio station uh, now, Brian. He uh, he he does a syndicated show for CBS, and uh, you could find him. Uh, you, I'm, you're not going to promote another radio station in New York, but if you go to John Batchelor's website, he lists all the stations that he's on, including here in New York. But yes, as far as I know, he's he's healthy. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two. Two two. If you have a question, eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Bill is in Huntington. Hello, Bill. Okay, who's the better actor, Ice-T or Ice Cube? You know, 
I, I'm not sure I I know which one is which. Wait, so Ice Cube was the one in uh boy in uh, Boys in the Hood, right? I don't know. Yeah, Correct. yeah. Okay, so Matt Blaze. Yeah, so Ice Cube was in Boys in the Hood, and Ice T is is on all those cop shows. Is right? on right on uh, SVU. Yeah, so I got I got to say Ice Cube. I thought he was excellent in that movie uh, Boys in the Hood, and uh, I've not been too impressed with Ice T as an actor. I mean, as great a film as Tank Girl was, I have to I have to give the edge to Ice Cube. It's a good question though, Bill. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. John is in Yorktown Heights. Hello, John. Welcome back, Frank. Uh, question was, do you know where AOC grew up? I think she grew up in Westchester. Yes, yeah, she grew up in Yorktown Heights, not in the Bronx, four years old, graduated Yorktown High School uh, 2007 at age 18. Great. Well, I'm glad. Bedroom it- house. I mean, uh, you know, beautiful, affluent Northern Westchester, wonderful the barrio in the Bronx. Well, I'm glad I can answer that question for you, John. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Patty is also in Westchester. Hello, Patty. Hi, Frank. I was calling to find out if they're going to be running reruns of your show late on. Um, Friday and Saturday night? You know, that is a great question, and I'm going to actually ask Matt Blaze if he knows the answer to that. The question was, are are, are they going to replay our show uh, tomorrow night and Saturday night, or is there something else on? Do you know, uh, Matt? Curtis will be live. Oh, you're kidding. Over the weekend. Oh, on, on both Saturday and Sunday night? Yes. So, and then he's going to come back Sunday afternoon with Chris on, yes. and then he's going to be on Sunday solo? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, see, uh, there and you yes. go. This is uh, news to me, Patty. I did not know that, but now, now you know. <laughs> WABC now Thank stands you. for Always Broadcasting Curtis. You know, that's a little, uh, again, I, I, I would rather hear Curtis, I guess, than <laughs> some other shows. But, I mean, that's a lot of Curtis. I mean, that's that's a lot of Curtis. I, I mean, could do with a little less Curtis, maybe. I don't know. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Queens. Hello, Mike. Yes, hi. You, you know, your psychic powers are amazing. I pulled into the Burger, burger King to get a rodeo burger, and there you are. <laughs> ah, wonderful. Yeah, anyway, listen, real quick. Uh, with the guy who got uh, the beat down on the subway, you got to collect the fares on the buses and the subways from everybody because I would think you're first in goal getting, you know, criminals on the buses and trains if you don't collect the fares. That's like the, 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 so, the so, one-a. So what's your question, Mike? Well, my question is, uh, well, first of all, you know, someone's asking me to ask you a question. How is it that people just don't get off their butts and vote? How come people complaining about, uh, you know, the crime and this? Nobody votes. Yeah. What's with the people who want to, oh, Lord, why don't they vote? Please tell me. Somebody tell me why they don't vote. Mike, thanks for the call. I think there's a number of reasons. One, I think uh, the members of the public have become so cynical that the people that don't vote think that uh, whoever gets elected is not going to do right by them, that uh, it's not going to change their way of life. And I think that they have seen too many broken promises from too many politicians that they sort of check out. I, I think that's uh, a part of it. I think that's a part of it. Also, uh, we've seen that uh, elections that are competitive produce higher ver- voter turnout. The Trump-Biden election, for instance, was one of the highest voter turnout elections in, uh, I think, since uh, 1972. I'm going to double, she, uh, yeah, I'm going to double check that, but I think so. And 
part of the reason was because it was so competitive. And um, we're seeing fewer and fewer districts that are competitive because of gerrymandering. On the state level and on the national level, they are gerrymandering. There are other factors as well, but they're creating mostly one-party districts. 90% of the districts in this country are going to be one-party districts, meaning a the opposing party doesn't even have a realistic chance of getting elected. So there's no competitive election, and we've seen in political science terms, when there's no competitive elections, that produces low voter turnout. 800-848-9222. There's one, two open lines if you want to jump on board with a question. 800-848-WABC. Brian is in Rockland County. Hello, Brian. Hey, uh, what's going on, man? Uh, listen, I'd like to know if uh, you pay your guests any uh, fee when they come on your show. No, um, no, no. They don't, I, don't, I don't have the money, Brian. I wish, uh, I wish I did. The only guest that I can remember, there were two guests that asked me to get paid. And I didn't, I didn't end up paying, um, either of them. And, um, one later came on the show, even though he didn't get paid. And one never came on the show. He wanted to get paid. He insisted upon it. But no, I've never paid anybody. 800-848-WABC. Maybe I'll buy them a, a sandwich or something or, uh, or send a car for them if that's what'll get them here. But no, I've never paid anybody. 800-848-WABC. If you have questions, Mike is in Denver. What's your question, Mike? Hey, Frank. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say congratulations on your new baby. Oh, thanks. And, um, yeah, absolutely. It's great to talk to you again, too. Um, you're doing a great job, as always. So, I, um, and, and Matt the Blaze, I just wanted to say hi real quick. Um, uh, we haven't talked for a while. So, hey, Matt, hope you're doing good. Happy good holidays. Season, um, thanks, Mike. Doing very well. Absolutely. So, um, Frank, I just wanted to ask you a very quick um, kind of a two part question. So if you were doing a syndicated show compared to a local show, would you do that show differently if you were on, say, 200 stations? And how would you make that show appeal to a younger audience nationwide? Well, the first part of your question is I would probably do it a little bit differently, but not much. Honestly, um, our owner, John Katsimatidis, is always stressing to me almost on a daily basis that uh, WABC signal reaches uh, 36 states, depending on the weather at night, and that we should treat this like a national show. So I try not to make it too parochial. Uh, Mike hung up there. But um, I do still occasionally, I can't avoid, because I've been involved with this my whole life, I do occasionally feel the need to talk about New York State or New York City political goings-on or local goings-on or local cuisine or local culture. If I were to do a, a syndicated show, I would probably not talk about that unless it was a story out of New York or New Jersey that had national implications. I also don't know that we could keep doing the AC, uh, the AC report if it was a syndicated show, but we'll see. Who knows? 800-848-WABC. Mark is in Newark. Hello, Mark. Hello. Thank you so much. Do you think that NATO will survive or do you think it will uh, European will, uh, will separate themselves from USA? Uh, well, do I think that who will separate themselves from USA? N- NATO and ATO. Yeah, no, no. I, I, but you sound, you asked a two part question. Do I think NATO will survive? And then, or what was your other? What was your or? Or is it, 
do you think they will separate themselves from USA? They I see. That uh, you know, I I think NATO is almost unrecognizable from the organization it was 30 or 40 years ago. Now, the NATO, as you know, Mark, stands for North Atlantic Treaty Organization. But if you look at most of the countries that are in NATO now, they're not in the North Atlantic. So I think NATO has in some ways become the Holy Roman Empire. Um the Holy Roman Empire was not holy, was not Roman, and was not an empire. That's what NATO is. It's essentially become an anti-Russia club, and it is creeping all over Eastern Europe. So I do think NATO will survive, but I think it will. Uh, I think it will look a lot different than it did in its heyday. Uh, if you have questions about anything, now's the time. One eight hundred eight four eight WABC one two three four open lines. If you want to jump on board, let me say hello to Darlene in the Bronx. Hello, Darlene. Hi. 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 This is Darlene. Ah. Frank, I enjoy your show. Thank you. And um, I just want to know, uh, I've been listening to WABC. Nobody talk about what's happening in Washington with Jim Jordan, with what's going on there. Well, I might bring that up. You know, I tell you, I w- I'm going to have Andrew Napolitano, who's a legal expert, at uh, 3.30 or so. I'm going to bring that up with him. I'll ask him about that because there are some uninteresting legal implications about that whole thing. 800-848-9222, answering your questions on any subject. John is in Bayonne. Hello, John. Frank, I was going to ask you something else, but being that you mentioned the overnight and Curtis being on weekends now, what happened to Russo? I have no idea. He's just gone from the age. His show you know, used to be good when it was two hours, but he sort of the steam. The steam was taken out. Yeah, I, I don't. You know that that have so much uh, so much of a yeah, Trump show. Yeah, no, I, I have know, as much as I love Trump. Yeah, I have no idea. I saw people were talking about this on the New York Radio message board, and uh, apparently there was sort of a disclaimer at the beginning of his show, like the following program is paid and doesn't represent the views of WABC. So my guess is, and I have no inside information, but my guess is. Is, is that he was buying his time and then you know at some point didn't want to keep paying to be on the air. That's my guess, but I, I could be totally wrong. I have no idea. I mean, it was okay, but after, like I said, after a while, it just it wasn't really a show anymore. It was just him and a pizza guy talking all night. That's well, frank. hey, there's a lot to be said for pizza. 800-848-WABC. Billy is in Mawa. Hello, Billy. Hi. Good evening. Good morning. Good morning. So fast-forwarding to the 2024 elections. Who do you predict will be the two presidential, um, Republican and Democrat, and who will be their running mate? Oh, see, that's a good question. I'd want to think about that uh, a little bit, but I'll I'll do my best, uh, you know, uh, off the top of my head here. I'm going to say I'm going to say um, for the Republicans, it's Donald Trump and Christy Noem. And for the Democrats, it's... um, that is much tougher to predict, uh, but I'll say it is uh, um, that is much tougher to predict. But I'll, I'll say that one is um, Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. Oh, wow. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. 800-848-9222-1234. Open lines. Drew is in White Plains. Hello, Drew. Hey, Frank. Um Couple questions. It's funny because Drew, Drew, what do you have? What, you have me on a speakerphone, Drew. You sound like you're in a, a bathroom. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm just. I was actually walking in the hallway. I'm sorry. Okay, that's you, better. Yes, better yes. All right. What's okay. your question, Drew? First question. Um, 
so you feel like these New York cases with Trump aren't going to go anywhere? They're just witch hunts. Um, well, I mean, again, so far, I mean, maybe some will, some will go somewhere. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing you have to understand is, you know, that there are, you know, there are tens of millions of people uh, in this country that are ready to pitch, uh, pick up a pitchfork and storm the Bastille on Trump's behalf. So I think if you were to see something like a serious indictment of someone named Trump, it would lead to all out chaos that would make the January 6th. A uh, capital riot looked like tiddlywinks. So you don't think Tish James is doing that? I just have the biggest gut feeling that she is going to do it. Even if it's something that falls apart in the long run, I feel like she is going to pull an indictment. It's possible. You know, the, the attorney general has very limited criminal jurisdiction. It's mostly related to mm-hmm. financial crimes. And that's why she's been partnering with Manhattan D.A. Cy Vance. So we'll see Damn, if Vance. Yeah, we'll see if Vance does something within the next 14 days before he leaves. He's the one that I could have seen doing something. But uh, I don't know. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know. Uh, that's the problem with elected prosecutors. Not that I'm against elected prosecutors, but is that they try to play to the political cheap seats, and both Miriam Rocha in Westchester and Tish James statewide and Alvin Bragg or Cy Vance in Manhattan, they know that it would be a politically popular thing for them to go after Trump or his organizations with an indictment. Hopefully, I mean, I know this is a crazy concept, but hopefully they don't look to target individuals because of who they are. Hopefully they follow the evidence to where it leads. 800-848-WABC. Happy to answer your questions. I'd love to get some non-political questions, too. Uh, the political questions, I don't know. They're so monotonous, so boring. You have 20 hours of that on the radio station. I mean, I'd love to answer some questions about film, television, books, business, radio, uh, cocktails, gambling, pro wrestling, you name it. Uh, but, I mean... Chill out with the political questions. Now, you're welcome to ask, but come on. There's so much more to life than just politics. 800-84. And you know what we'll do, actually? Um, whoever asks the best question today, we're going to send a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight baseball cap to. Whoever comes up with the most interesting, most creative question this hour will send a complimentary baseball cap to. So if you want to try and win a hat by asking a creative question, now's the time. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Robert in Philadelphia. Hello, Robert. Oh, Frank. It's political, but it's light. Okay. How's that? Sure, I'm ready. Um, um, congratulations on your baby, and I will always say thank you for coming back. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, what are the odds after the election they dump Kamala and sneak in Hillary? Okay. And the second question is, is it me or when her mouth isn't moving, is AOC kind of hot? I'll hang up and let you answer. Uh, I think uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez is very attractive. I don't see any scenario in which they um, they get rid of Harris and replace her with Clinton. I'll be honest. I don't see Biden running for a second term. Uh, I agree with those. I mean, he'll be 82, even even a very sharp 82 year old, which, to be honest, I'm not sure President Biden is. I don't know would be able to withstand the rigors of a non-quarantine political campaign. I I don't think Biden's going to run for a second term. But if Biden did run for a second term, I don't see him picking Hillary. Because, honestly, Democrats know that Hillary Clinton is the reason 
the country ended up with Donald Trump. They managed to nominate the most polarizing, least likable presidential candidate that the Democrats have ever nominated. And so why would they what does she add? What does she bring to the table? What constituency does she bring to the table? What state that would otherwise be a Republican state does she make a blue state? You want people that expand your base. I don't think Hillary brings anything to the table, quite frankly. 800-848-9222. Squeeze in one more here before we go to break. Let me say hello to Doug in Lindbrook. Hello, Doug. Mr. Morano, how are you, sir? Great. Very good. I, uh, I'm a new listener to your show. I'm retired. I don't sleep well, so I listen to the radio. Here's a question for you, boss. Something uh, you might consider very silly, but do you have a rat fink? A rat fink? No, but my, my Uncle Steve does. Oh, very good. Yeah. You know that. He, yeah, no, he is a, a rat fink enthusiast, uh, so uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I do not. Do you? Yes, yes, and I have a surf fink. I got the album that shows this rat fink on a surfboard, and it's all surf music. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. If people don't know what um, what Doug is talking about, uh, rat fink is like a hot rod character that was created by uh, an artist, and they put it on clothing, they put it on you know hot rods, they put it on all sorts of things. My uncle has a, all sorts of rat fink paraphernalia. All right, uh, let me tell you a little bit about legacy precious metals. It's no secret that inflation is out of control. My wife came home from the grocery store today. She said, we just went shopping three days ago, but we ran out of just a few things. She said, "We it's now Thursday. We went on Sunday. It's just a few days ago, and I got two bags of groceries. It was $96. $96. And she didn't buy anything expensive. Nothing gourmet, no meat, no fish. $96. Now, what are people doing? How do people afford this? Well, the bottom line is inflation is infecting everybody. And if you have your money in a traditional retirement account, it is being eaten away by inflation. If you have your money in an existing retirement account, think about rolling it into a gold or a silver IRA, and you should do it with legacy precious metals because these guys are the experts. They'll give you information based on your individual situation. They'll give you advice based on your individual situation. So call legacy precious metals today. Write this number down, 866 932 Zero six three five. That's eight six six nine three two zero six three five. Or visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Seventy-seven WABC, where the action is. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Pull out the holly, put up the tree before my spirit falls again. Fill up the stocking. I may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now. For we Johnny Mathis, we need a little Christmas. We are answering your questions on any subject. If you have a question, give us a call, 800-848-9222. Karen is in Brooklyn. Hello, Karen. Hello, Frank. How are you? Great, thanks. Okay, 
have two questions. Is Curtis going to come back and have another show? I don't know if you know that. But the second question is, do you agree with me that it is the school's fault for the Rittenhouse case, the one in Wisconsin, because the school serves as a third-party objective, like the police do? The parents are not. They're, they're just not going to be objective. They're going to shelter their kids. What, what do you mean? Like well, well, apple to apple, far from the tree. Well, I, explain okay. to me. Explain to me your theory on the written house. How is it? How is it the school's fault? I'm not sure. I follow. Okay, they are a third party, and they could be objective. The parents are always going to like shelter their kids. Okay, they cannot be objective. The police are objective. Right. Schools yeah, are objective. I, I that, mean, is their, that is their job. I'm sorry. And, and yeah, and when in you my say, opinion, in okay. my opinion, otherwise it's just like the French Revolution. Oh, he's he's a descendant of that person. He's associated with that person, and to the last of their race, they have to be eliminated. I mean, all right, thank you, Karen. So um, uh, she kind of lost me there, but uh, I think the people responsible for the Rittenhouse situation are the people that were charging at him, trying to kill him, and the prosecutor that chose to indict him. And Rittenhouse himself. I think those are the three parties. I don't think it's the schools that could be blamed for that, personally. Uh, as far as Curtis goes, I don't know what... Uh, I mean, it sounds like he's on the radio quite a bit now. He's doing 3 to 5 on Sunday. He's on Saturday afternoon. He's doing uh, 10 p.m. to 1... Uh, actually, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Sunday into Monday. And now I'm told he's doing Saturday, uh, Friday and Saturday nights, overnights as well. I mean, that's a lot of Curtis. It's more yeah. than he was he's, on. He's got three regular shows. What are the three regular the, shows? We got the show on Saturday from two to four. Okay, that, he's right. got the left versus the right with Chris Hahn from right. three to five on Sundays, okay. and then the nine p.m. to one a.m. on Sunday night is the Curtis Lee. Okay, show. so the other shows are not regular shows as of right now. He's, okay. he's on. Well, that's the weekend, a lot. That's eight hours. Weekend. That's eight hours. He's on on the weekend more than Dominic Carter's on the whole week. That's true. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Elaine is in Riverdale. Hello, Elaine. Hi. We need a little Christmas, Frank. I'm the lady that called you about half an hour before Rachel went and had the baby. Mm-hmm. I'm requesting that you both see Pieces of April. It's still the holidays, and it's a great family movie for the two of you. I, I will work on it, Elaine. Uh, Pieces of April. It's on my list. I've got a lot of movies I want to see. It's on my list. Believe me. Nikki's in Manhattan. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Frank. If you want a contest that gave you complete creative control and a big fat budget, what film would you make? It could be new, it could be a reboot or from a book, and who would be your favorite people to cast in it? Well, that is a good question. I uh, well, obviously Shatner's got to be in it. Uh, I, would, I was thinking you'd say that, right? So you got to put Shatner in there. Uh, I throw uh, I throw Robert De Niro in there. I, I really love him as an actor. He's uh, he's, he's so good. Um, let's see, what would it be? Um, let me. You know, I keep an ideas list on my folder. Excuse me, on my phone. Let me see if I have any any ideas for a film on my ideas folder here. Um, it, you know what it would be. It would be a movie. Um, it would be a movie that deals with four friends 
who um, who spend every weekend in Atlantic City and who are all different ages. One's 80, one's 50, one's uh, 30, one's 21. And the four of them get into all sorts of different adventures together. Uh, and it's a, it's a comedy, but they go all around Atlantic City and uh, some are involved in crime, others involved in women. That, that's kind of, that's the movie that I'd like to make that I don't think has really been made yet. And there's so many great picturesque locations in Atlantic City. Oh, that sounds great. I'd like to see it. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. That's a strong candidate for question of the of the day. I'm going to star that one, and then we'll have to give Nikki her prize if uh, if she wins. Anne is in Manhattan. Hello, Anne. Hi, Frank. Congratulations on little Carmen. May God bless you all. Thank you. Question for you. Given the COVID restrictions, um, how was the experience for you with Rachel? Did they let you stay with her and, and see Carmen being... Carmine being born? Yes, they let me stay, uh, but aside from me, they only allowed one person in the visiting room at a time. Uh, that was the that was the restriction. That was the difference. And how was the whole experience for you? Was it, it what you expected? Um, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I would say it was wonderful. Uh, you know, though the the ten seconds, but that he's that he's born and you, you know, see that it's a boy and you hear him crying for the first time. Nothing quite like it. Everybody always says that, but yeah, I, I think that's certainly true. Jerry is on Staten Island. Hello, Jerry. Hey, Frank. I just want to know why people aren't held accountable for their actions anymore. It just seems like, you know, that tomorrow there's a national shoot day in school or something like that on TikTok. So I mean, my ex-wife, she's keeping my son home from school and I don't blame her, but it just seems like there's no one cares. No one's even doing anything about this. It's unreal what's going on in this country. Well, you could bet those threats are going to be investigated. And uh, if uh, they're able to find out who did it, those people are going to be prosecuted. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's the best answer I can give there. Mike is in Queens. Hello, Mike. Yes. Uh, Robin from the Batman TV series is a cat lover. And he has his own cat food company, which he claims uh, – the cats could live longer. Could you have him on your show one time? Yeah, I've had him on, Burt Ward. It's oh, yeah. actually a dog food company, and uh, I, I was spoke uh, speaking about it yesterday. But, Mike, if you email me, I will send you the podcast of my interview with Burt Ward. Uh, Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com is my email. I'll be happy to send that to you. He was an interesting, interesting guy. See if we can squeeze in one more brief one. Chris and Beth Page, brief question. I'll be brief, Frank. Um Top five favorite rock groups of all time. Not mm. singles, guys. Top five. Think about it. Go through the break if you want. But five to one, I want to hear who your top five favorite rock groups of all time I are. will have to okay. give that some thought. Uh, I have a few that I want to put down already, but I'll, I'll come back later in the show, maybe in the 4 o'clock hour, and answer that question. Hey, I think our, our best question this hour was from Nikki in Manhattan. You know why? Because it was different creative, it was different, it was out of the box, it was not boring. So Nikki in Manhattan, call back and um, give Philip your information. We'll send you a The Other Side of Midnight baseball cap. Or if you're not Nikki, uh, somebody who can do a good Nikki from Manhattan impression, call back and uh, do that. Hey, John Minnelli joining me next hour. I can't wait. Cannot wait. In the meantime, in the words of the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
good morrow, everyone. This is the other side of midnight. I am Frank Moreno here with you until five o'clock this morning. Coming up at three thirty, you're going to get to hear Judge Andrew Napolitano. Coming up at three o'clock, I have denunciations for you. A lot of other uh, great stuff that we have coming your way as well uh, that uh, that you're really going to enjoy. And uh, we'll take your calls on a wide variety of subjects. In the meantime, though, even before I was a radio talk show host, I was and remain an enthusiastic, fanatical fan of the medium of talk radio. For my money, there is no better medium for conveying information and entertainment than talk radio. And the station that I always felt did it better than anybody was this one, WABC. That's why being on the station, particularly at night, which is when I used to listen, is really the culmination of a lifelong dream. And you always got the sense as a listener, and I still feel this way as a talk show host, that when you made it to WABC, that was the top of the heap. That was the New York Yankees. That was the creme de la creme of radio stations. And you know what it was? For many years, it was the most listened to talk station in the entire country beating even a lot of FM stations. And the man that built that talk radio empire, the man that built this station into the ratings behemoth that it was, and hopefully, who knows, will be again, was John Minnelli. And I am thrilled uh, that uh, John Minnelli, former WABC program director, veteran radio consultant, and former radio columnist for the New York Post, has agreed to stay up late with us and join me on the radio. John, it's been too long. How are you? Good, friend. Good morning. And I, I hope to see you guys be number one, uh, maybe uh, um, pretty soon. I we're, hope. It looks like you're headed in the right direction. We're I've been in, watching. Inching our way up. Inching our way up. We're, we're number one uh, overnights, John. That's a start, right? Well, very good. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, one of my, my personal favorite time of day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're my fellow night owl. John, um, it seems like everywhere you look, newspapers, television, radio, everybody seems obsessed with what's happening in the world of cable news. The amount of attention that was paid to Chris Cuomo's firing was like the president had resigned. Uh, we saw the same thing with Chris Wallace's transition. And yet, if you compare the amount of people that watch cable news every day with uh, who, who watch the nightly news i mean it pales in comparison it's a relatively small amount of people that watch cable news every day do you think that there's too much emphasis and too much attention being paid to the goings-on in the world of cable news well technically yes way too much and you're right there's um uh at most uh when tucker's not on there's at most maybe a couple three million tops watching uh, cable news uh, in uh, prime time without Tucker in the mix, because he, he can be higher than that. But there's 330 million people in the country. So, you know, that's, uh, I don't know, one, 1%, something like, right? And But the thing is, it includes a lot of the media listen to it. Uh-huh. And, and so when the media listen to it, uh, as with Twitter, which is a relatively small audience, uh, it's, it's, it's more influential. It's, it's, uh, a way to reach these people. It's why golf tournaments on TV, they're very low rated, but they get very large advertising rates uh, because uh, the audience is very upscale, uh, very uh, uh, influential as far as uh, what they do in their jobs. So a lot of corporations try to reach other corporations on golf tournament broadcasts. So it, it's, uh, yes, it's, it's uh, 
um, as far as the world goes and people go and the public goes, they're worthless. But they're a place where it's like a, a message board, an old computer message board for the media inside incestuous media types. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. Now, I alluded to the Chris Cuomo, uh, the uh, Chris Wallace situation, leaving Fox News after 18 years. He's going to this new CNN streaming network, CNN Plus. I was interested to see uh, the uh, reaction from a lot of conservatives and a lot of Trump supporters. They seemed to be happy that uh, Fox was not going to have Chris Wallace any anymore on. What did you think of Chris Wallace and his role at uh, at Fox News? Uh, early on, I, I liked him okay. Um, he seemed to be genuinely trying to be balanced. I knew he was a liberal deep down. That's fine. I don't care. As long as, you know, you do your job. And I thought he was doing it early on. But as with Trump, when Trump came in, everybody changed one way or the other. And he uh, increasingly uh, went like so many have done. They were always kind of on the other side, but now they're they're just extremely that way aggressively that way, uh, dishonestly that way. And he got more and more that way. Plus, I never uh, I know I know why, you know, he, his voice always annoyed me. And I know exactly why, because, you know, he's Mike Wallace's son. Mike Wallace was a handsome guy, nothing against people's looks. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, 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 what's his first name? Wallace. Uh, Chris Wallace. Yeah. OK. Yeah. He's the younger one. Uh, yeah. Um, it certainly didn't have the voice that his dad had. His dad had a very uh, soothing voice. That You're right. It was very melodious. That's right. And I know I know that growing up, Chris wanted to be that way. And he clearly, you can tell, spent his entire childhood trying to be as <laughs> deep as possible and enunciate as well as I possibly can. Because he reeked of doing that and, and it didn't get close to where his dad was. You know, so that he had that. But again, when he was uh, doing his job, I could put up with all of that and did. Uh, so good riddance, I say, and good riddance to Shepard Smith, who also went to no, uh, no Man's Land, which is where Chris Wallace is going, even more so than Shepard Smith. At least CNBC at night has uh, oh, six or seven hundred thousand, whereas uh, 60 or 70 thousand is probably the most CNN streaming will get, certainly at the beginning. And nobody's going to walk across the street to hear Chris Wallace, I'll tell you that. You, you alluded to Tucker Carlson's numbers uh, being markedly higher than what everybody else is doing. The thing that uh, strikes me as unique about Tucker is that the content of his show is so different from what's on the rest of cable news. I remember when uh, Trump launched those uh, those missiles in Syria, Fox News was basically a, uh, a chorus of people telling him what a great job he did. Tucker was one of the few voices criticizing Trump for doing it, criticizing John Bolton, criticizing Jared Kushner. Um, Michael Smirkanish also from time to time strikes me as a, a pretty unique voice in the cable in the cable news wilderness. If you were programming a radio station these days, how do you think Tucker would do on the radio? Um, I'm not sure that. Uh, well, I was going to say Tucker uh, pretty much takes command of the show completely, but so did Rush, and Rush succeeded very well during doing that. Uh, Tucker wasn't really there for exchanges and gives and takes, um, and Rush didn't even try to really do that a lot. Um, I don't know that Tucker is could wear well. I don't know 
that radio is his medium. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it certainly uh, is. I agree with you about Michael Smirconish. I think he's terrific. He's about the only CNN show oh, I not only tolerate but enjoy. Uh, it's the only one that I watch. Uh, it's the only one that right. I make an effort to t- tune into. I, I think he's uh, I, I think he's a real talent. And again, he's doing something different from what everybody else is uh, is doing, which is uh, is refreshing. Uh, he's but- his own my, my uh, his own man, and he does have a radio show, uh, not uh, widely carried, but he has one. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm definitely a fan. Uh, lastly, on the cable news uh, front, and I want to pick your brain on a, on a few other things related to the media and uh, and talk radio, and uh, maybe get get you to tell a few stories from uh, WABC's past. But Brian Williams has uh, ended his career with uh, NBC News after after decades. Um, what's Brian Williams' legacy? Do you think it's uh, appropriate that he's remembered for inserting himself into all those stories? Or is there is there something deeper there that those that have written his media obituary are missing? Uh, you mean, are there better things in his past than that? Are there uh, uh, qualifications that mitigate some of the things he's done? Is that what you, you well, mean? Yeah, or in general, just what, what's your view of Brian Williams' legacy with NBC News? I don't think it's, it's much at all. Uh, even if he hadn't had that problem with the... Uh, um, fibbing and, and uh, exaggerations and self-aggrandizement. Uh, he's just an anchorman. And uh, um, certainly when he was an anchorman and, and everybody before him, they were really were not there to make news or to be a personality. Uh, and to my knowledge, Brian never uh, went to, uh, I think Dan Rather at least traveled the world and got his feet or, you know, his hair must. But um, uh, he, I don't think Brian even tried to do that. So had it stopped with him being an anchorman, I don't think people would remember him. And I don't think he was that outstanding of an anchorman. He was okay. He did the job. Certainly, uh, I like him better. Uh, I used to like Lester Holt, but Lester Holt, the same thing with Trump after post-Trump. Uh, uh, it's uh, He's just extremely woke, uh, especially regarding race. He can't do enough of general wokeness and and race wokeness, uh, and uh, his ratings are uh, dropping steadily. Uh, at the and uh, the beneficiary of it is ABC News, and um, uh, clearly the people that are leaving uh, CBS and they're leaving uh, rather AB, uh, NBC and they're leaving steadily and noticeably are directly going to ABC. They're they're uh, going past uh, CBS. And not collecting two hundred dollars because that's just <laughs> dead in the water. Um, so no, I don't think. Yeah. So uh, Brian Williams, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't. Well, who? Uh, I. I don't think he wanted to leave. By the way, um, and uh, I don't know who will pick him up. Do you think it was a function anyone. of uh, of money? Was he earning too much money? Was that the problem? Uh, it could well be. They have a new. Uh, for years, they had um, Jim Griffin running the place. Uh, and I don't know really how much authority he had. I'm sure he kept a smooth shop going. I, uh, I think that when uh, Jeff Zucker was in the, at the company, he was certainly calling uh, shots over uh, Griffin, no question. But um, uh, Dana Griffin or Jim Griffin, Griffin was the last name. Right, Jim, Gr- Jim um, Griffin. And, and um, uh, a new uh, person, uh, uh, went and nobody's ever, nobody ever heard of her before. Um, it came in about uh, six months ago. I don't. I highly doubt she's making the big calls. But I think it's money is a big part because 
they I know they're thinking and they can safely think that almost anybody we can put anybody in there and they'll get just about the same ratings right. Brian gets because they're 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 really at eleven for the news. Mm. Mm. Uh, John, if you're game, I'd love to take a few calls, give people an opportunity to ask you uh, ask you some questions. Sure. All right. Uh, sure. If you, you want to talk to John Minnelli, a former WABC program director, former WOR program director as well, former Free FM program yeah. director, a veteran radio consultant, former radio columnist for the New York Post. You can give us a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Now, John, I know you left in 95. Did you start around 1984 at WABC? No, I started in 88, early 88. part of the year. And uh, started Limbaugh uh, in New York on uh, July 4th of 88. And he went network uh, the next month. And uh, early on, uh, in his case, we I had him do a local show only uh, just to introduce him to New York first. And he never quite forgave me for that, but it all worked. <laughs> uh, how do you think the various rush replacements are doing on the radio? Have you have not, you predicted that you didn't think uh, that Dan Bongino, for instance, would would do very well? Have you had a chance to sample any of the rush replacements, and do you have a a review as to how they're doing? Well, I listened to um, uh, Buck, and I'm uh, having a hard time remembering names tonight. Buck and um, Clay, Clay and Buck. Who gets top billing in that, Clay? Clay and Buck? Uh, you know what? I'll be honest. I, I never remember either which one is which and, and what their names are and who goes first. But, yeah, Clay, but Buck Clay Sexton and, Buck. and the other one, yes. Uh, they, they both sound somewhat similar. I'm getting to where I can tell them apart more easily. And uh, Clay clearly dominates the show over Buck. Um, he's, he's just that kind of personality. I kind of enjoy that show, except like so many talk shows, um, and they uh, spend, in my view, way too much time on COVID because I think that's for a lot of talk show hosts and uh, cable news people and news producers, tele- general news producers. It's the low-hanging fruit. It's the easy way to go through the day. Uh, get the latest new angle that you make up or just find if it actually exists, truthfully, and you cruise with it. You don't have to really do research or do whatever. And um, so they do that. But otherwise, when they get at almost any other topic, I enjoy them. Um, Bongino, uh, I've never I've never for uh, for a second been surprised at anything he said or considered him insightful in any way whatsoever. Um, In the old days, he might have been a a novelty uh, when um, when acts. Well, acts. uh, That's not a I, I don't mean that as a derogatory term. But when acts like Joe Pine, who was kind of the first uh, uh, noticeably acerbic radio talk show mm-hmm. host, uh, and then Bob actually worked with Joe at like KBC, for a while. right? Right. I, I worked at KBC, but just after uh, those guys, and um, when those when and then um, um, a little later on, when Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony and the like arrived on the scene, uh, certain. Radio programmers and talent realize, hey, these people who just come on and make noise, which they most of them did more than that, a lot more than that, but some people perceive them as just making noise, uh, came on, they got instant spikes in the ratings. So for a while, um, concurrent, Rush wasn't one of those guys, but concurrent with him arriving on the scene, everybody was trying to come on and shock the world. Um, and if, if they happened to arrive in a town that really hadn't heard that before, 
they would get a little bump in the ratings for a while just from word of mouth. And then Limbaugh uh, switched the template on the whole scene uh, because people thought that the magic of Limbaugh, and for that matter, the magic of WABC, but you know better than most, Frank, WABC was way more than conservative politics then. But but people saw, you know, people saw Bob Grant and maybe Rush Limbaugh. They were the two outstanding shows uh, ratings wise. And uh, as uh, being it's like it's like with Howard Stern. Howard Stern was a great interview, is a great interviewer. But a lot of people wonder if he's still alive being on uh, satellite. Mm -hmm. If Howard's and uh, um, if he. you know, he's a great interviewer. He's insightful. He's funny. Everything that you want in an, a well-rounded personality. But a lot of programmers who, whose talent or um, observations don't go too deep thought, I know what the magic with him is. It's it's uh, burping and lesbians. Right, right. They thought that was the secret sauce that made Howard Stern a success. Had nothing to do with his wit, with his interviewing ability, with his ability to tell a story, with his use of sound, uh, with his, yeah, I mean, you're you're exactly right. And, oh, oh, we know why Rush is successful. It's because he's conservative. Let's throw uh, anybody on that happens to be conservative. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with John Minnelli, uh, a legendary radio program director. You know, John, I'm actually surprised I've never asked you this. You, You alluded to working at KABC. Is that where you worked immediately before WABC? Oh, no. Um, I worked at KABC in the 70s uh, as a news writer uh, right out of uh, college, early 70s. And um, uh, in KABC, well, this is inside, but real quick, was the number one talk station in uh, L.A. at the time. Um, and now it barely registers at all because L.A. outgrew AM radio real quick. Just the signal range and uh, uh, the distance range, you know, the city just exploded uh, since the 70s, four times the traffic, et cetera. So, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was uh, a big, a long gap between KABC and WABC. Where did you work immediately before WABC? Uh, I programmed uh, KCMO in Kansas City. Huh. And before that, KSDO in San Diego, both talk stations. And, it, you know, we're doing, uh, I think on the website, it's still going on at WABCradio.com, giving people an opportunity to vote on which WABC personalities from the music era and the talk radio era should make it into the WABC Hall of Fame. You mentioned Bob and Rush and their uh, supremacy in the ratings in your era when you were here. But if you were to pick another talk talent from the time that you were program director as a strong, as the strongest candidate in addition to those two, for a WABC Hall of Fame. Who do you think it'd be? Uh, how many candidates can well, I pick? Well, give me two. Give me two. Uh, other than Rush, and who else did and, you have? Bob, Bob, Bob Grant. Grant. Yeah. Obvious, the two obvious ones. Um, oh, well, Lynn Samuels. Uh, and um, hmm, now the, the next one, um, I'll try to keep my personal favorites out. Um well, I would consider Ed Koch strongly. Um, I got a kick out of him. Um, the morning shows it didn't quite reach that level. Um, Jay Diamond uh, um, had a lot going for him. Um, he uh, didn't like the morning slot at all. It wasn't built for him. He's the extreme night owl of the world. 
So that didn't really work out. It wasn't really. It was kind of the fault of whoever put him in that slot. Uh, and who could know? Um, I I was at WABC for a couple of years. Didn't get along with the manager. Quit and stayed away for I don't know six to eight months. And and then they uh, asked me to come back. In the meantime, they brought the Jay in, which was fine with me, except that slot didn't work for him. And they brought Joy Behar in, who I ended up firing. And um, so forget her on the. And she, my thing I like to say about her is uh, her idea of show prep was to glance at the cover of the New York Post on her way in to get cigarettes. <laughs> that was the research that she did. And she had this, I, I don't mind trashing her because when I fired her, for it, it took her uh, a few years until The View kicked in. And I know Barbara Walters listened to her on WABC. And so that was clearly how that happened. Barbara could see at least, you know, Joy was funny. And entertaining, no question about it. But WABC at the time, when I got, well, I had been there and then I came, was heading more into um, current events, not politics, but current events. And she was just avoiding them. She didn't understand them. She still doesn't understand them. She got in trouble just this week. She was in the headlines for saying something like, I heard there were like 50 deaths from this new uh, virus strain. 50 deaths. Oh, my God. Doesn't sound, you know, and, she, and they called her on it, and she defended what she said. And they, oh, maybe maybe I didn't read it right. That's how dense uh, she is. And but she you, had this whack. You started to tell a story of when she when you fired her. What happened? Oh, oh, um, well, she went around calling the station WKKK, and I was the Grand Wizard. Ah, I see, I see. Well, at least you know, at least you were high ranking. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Jim is in Orange County. Uh, Jim, what's your question for John Manelli? Hey, John, congratulations. I uh, I started listening to WABC when you were the program director there. Bob Grant, Rush Limbaugh, and uh, Jay Diamond. My question was for Jay Diamond. He was a, he used to be extremely conservative, and then uh, all of a sudden his former uh, his former colleagues, Curtis Lewis, Steve Malsberg, they were, he, was, he used to call them his uh, brothers, brothers in solidarity. He uh, left, he went to another station, and all of a sudden they were a persona non grata. I wonder if you had any inside information to that. On uh, on Jay in particular, you mean? Yes. Jay's, Jay's opinion change? Yes. Uh, well, Jay has always denied that there was that. I think that Jay, Jay like everyone else, evolves and ev- uh, evolved. Um, I think that Jay did a number of things in a certain way back then that, that came across uh, as um, conservative. But I think he was open-minded. Well, I know he was open-minded. And uh, I know he did things for effect, and he had fun lampooning people that uh, went, uh, the type of people he enjoyed lampooning were the type of people maybe on the left or people in pressure groups. Um, and so um, uh, I'm not uh, – I Jay's – because I see what Jay posts on Facebook a lot, and he's just incredibly obsessed with Donald Trump still. And uh, calls him scump and uh, 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 and and finds fault daily in the guy, and and I don't really understand that because you know Donald Trump is certainly not the kind of guy that could threaten Jay in any way personally, and he's out of power. But uh, so, but that's kind of uh, off off the um, path from what you're asking. I don't know for sure where Jay stands 
I know on certain things, I mean, he'll he'll surprise you. Uh, he um, uh, is not afraid to be independent and to buck buck any line, party line. Um, but sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I've heard Jay many times on the radio and to me privately praise Pat Buchanan, for instance, who's not someone that uh, is, usually, is usually lionized by those on the left. Uh, but as far as a talk talent goes, I don't think there are many better than Jay Diamond, uh, you know, especially in the in the 90s. But even I used to love his WEVD show. I I, I don't think there's anybody better uh, than Jay on the radio. Uh, John, if you don't mind sticking around, I'd love to uh, take a quick break and then give people more of an opportunity to ask you some questions. Sure. All right. Ed, we're talking with John Minnelli, the man that built the ratings behemoth of WABC. He dug the foundation for the house that we're all now living in. If you want to call in and ask a question, you can do so. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. When we come back, we'll see if John will share any of those uh, great Bob Grant stories that everybody in that era seems to have. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. Wherever you go, go, go with 77 WABC. Go, go! This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Oh, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out, you little weasel, cut it out, cut it out. Bye. I, I, I wouldn't go to Australia because I was afraid. I'd go to Australia to get away from vermin like you. Get off my phone. <laughs> that, of course, is the great Bob Grant. Um, probably the greatest radio talk talent in history. Certainly the uh, the greatest afternoon talent uh, we've seen in this, in this city ever. And uh, we're talking with a gentleman who presided over the heyday of Bob Grant's rating supremacy, John Minnelli, former WABC program director. John, what was it that made Bob so great and so unique? If you had to describe his appeal, what would it be? Well, I'll tell you that in a split second, but I had to have to just say a couple things. First, to uh, close out a thought from before the break, I would make Jay Diamond my fourth of the of the four that I'm allowed to pick. Gotcha. Okay. Great. So it would be Rush, Bob, Lynn, and Jay. Um, Secondly, uh, to this day, and I probably did it today because today was a screwed up day all the way around. Whenever something really annoys me, I say, ah, cut it out. I'll just yell that at nothing in particular. Nope, not people, but things. Ah, cut it out. It just it just is the thing I feel to say when everything's physical is conspiring against you. And my father once when I when he and, and my mother were visiting New York, we were driving around and Bob was on the air and the first time they heard them say, Get off my phone my dad was on the floor of the car. He just never heard Anything, you know, like so to answer your question, um, and I was jotting down a few Bob Grant stories during the break. There's more than I even remembered that there were. Um, well, first of all, he was humorous. People forget that he was had a great dry, wry, sly sense of humor uh, above and beyond. You know, you know, you'll remember how he would yell and scream and say, get off my phone. And then he said, hello, Margaret, you're on WABC. <laughs> Be so calm then. And, uh, you know, he was always and sarcastic and uh, a historian he, with a with a with a um, steel trap memory. Absolutely. He remembered particularly dates uh, and uh, totally on top of the news into everything. 
and uh, he loved to uh, say what you're not supposed to say. And um, that's why I don't think Bob could last for three, three, uh, I don't think he could last entirely between, uh, in a, between commercials today. One, Mm. one break and Bob, and then Bob's gone pretty much. If he, if he was Bob the way we remember Bob, um, deliberately uh, poking at hornet's nests. Um, so the you never you never knew what you were going to get from Bob. He had a few favorite topics, but he didn't delabor, belabor them. He found the humor in everything. He a lot of times when when callers come on um, talk shows, I kind of uh, go okay. Um, well, because I don't find that generally. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say this on a talk station. But and you have fun callers because you do that kind of a show. Yeah, a you, kind of a you can say whatever you show. like, uh, John. Believe believe me, you just, this is safe space, a free speech safe space. But if you're, uh, thank you, and I know it is, I know it is. Uh, but you know when you're, especially a political show, and Buck and uh, uh, Clay take calls, and the minute they do, I'm just like looking around. What am I to do now to mm-hmm. listen to? Because I'm not. Because they a the callers want to talk politics. B there's nothing they can say that we haven't heard ten times already that day. Uh, and, and they all the agree politics. with one another. That's the yeah. that's the other frustrating thing. The thing when you'd listen to Bob, you, he'd get callers across the political spectrum and non-political people, and he'd mix it up with them. Now, uh, the, you know, there's very little opportunity because everyone agrees with one another. Uh, but uh, a lot of people very eager to talk with you. 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. Billy is in Rockland County. Billy, what's your question for John Manelli? Billy, we got you? All right, Billy's found something else to do. Let's go to a fellow Bill. Bill in the Bronx, then. Bill, Bill, hello. Uh, yes, hi. Uh, g- good morning. Uh, I was there uh, the night that uh, when Samuels was let go, that, that Saturday morning. And uh, she came in around four o'clock in the morning to start reading her um, the newspapers in reference to what was going to happen. But anyway, I was there that day with uh, Curtis Lewa had the uh, the phonathon that was going on that that, that given night uh, into uh, that Saturday morning. Well, Lynn was let go and, a couple of times, Bill. So wh- which year are you talking about? I'm talking about the the, the night that uh, Curtis Lewa started with the Guardian Angels and had the callathon. I was there that night, and that uh, that night is the time that uh, Lynn Samuels uh, was uh, was let go. Right, I'm saying she was morning. let go a couple times. Do you know? Uh, do you know uh, what he's talking about there, John? Was that in your era? Yeah, John was the one who fired. No, 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 no. I never fired Lynn. Uh, Lynn was fired. Lynn was fired after I left the first time, and she was fired after I left the second time. And she might have been, okay. I think, was fired a third time when I was gone altogether. Um, so no, I, I hired her. I hired her back. I defended her. The first manager despised her. And, um, uh, and then Jay, uh, Joy was in the slot, her slot, Lynn's slot. And I couldn't do that change right away. So I put Lynn on the weekend. So no, I don't, rem- I don't know if uh, Curtis being involved with her. I don't remember that. No, not, her, her, not under my, with the overnight, with the overnight, uh, the, the, uh, the call it done at the Guardian Angels was having. Yeah, and, uh, I, that- I, I think that was after uh, John's era, Bill. But thanks for the call and uh, the minute remembrance of get Lynn. off my phone, <laughs> Dale in Manhattan. What's your question for uh, John Minnelli? Hello there, Dale. Hi, uh, guys. In my opinion, uh, the most talented, uh, the most 
articulate, the most cultured, and the most humorous talk show host is Mark Stein. So why has he never made it uh, big, in your opinion, John? Uh, well, Rush used him a lot, I know, and I loved when he did. Uh, I like Mark Stein a lot. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, some might be put off by the accent, uh, which is not that thick. Uh, but um, I, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Lynn, by the way, always thought. So I think Lynn could have been um, a female Limba almost. Um, and, and she would have worked great nationwide. She always th- well, she always thought the reason they don't want to hire me is because I hate Jews. <laughs> I think New York, she's Jewish. She sounds Jewish. And I don't think very few people think on that frequency if in to begin with. And secondly, I don't th- I think they would see past her voice, which was very distinct, and her manner, which was very New York and distinct. And, uh, you, you know, and, and, and according to her, her Jewishness, they would see if they had a problem with it, they would quickly not have a problem with her. Well, I guarantee you. Uh, so obviously, Rush had great confidence in Mark Stein, and he was the most frequent uh, substitute host. So I don't think I don't, the Canadian accent, uh, whatever the hell it is, is, is that off-putting. But I have heard from somebody in the business that he doesn't get along with uh, people uh, with whom he works. Oh, I, I had not heard that. Uh, but I will tell you this. He, he, well, he, okay, that's a good point. You, we, we, you, you may not have yeah. in, intended to make a point, but you did, which is a lot of the best talent are temperamental. And I won't name names. But a lot of the re- reasons that they don't last long, and I was a big hirer and defender of temperamental people, high-maintenance people, <clears throat> because I knew that's where a lot of t- their talent came from. But a lot of program directors, A, don't really understand that, or B, don't want to deal with it. Mm. They want obedient, docile people who will show up every day, uh, calmly be on the air, do their commercials, and go home. And they don't want, you know, a they don't like I said, they don't understand the mecha- or the uh, machinations of the whole uh, dynamic talent thing. So, so if Mark Stein is temperamental and has that reputation, ninety uh, percent of the programmers won't even consider him. Well, I would imagine you'd have to consider Bob as one of those temperamental talk talents, right, John? Well, um, Bob, <laughs> uh, this explains Bob. When I first uh, arrived at the station, Bob was walking down the hall. He gave me the biggest evil eye you can imagine. Oh, another one. And a young one at that because I looked younger than my years then. And uh, and then he walked into his office, didn't say anything, closed the door, and because he was suspicious and rightly so, uh, from all you know, all the stations and program directors he'd worked for. But uh, no, I found so Bob and I ultimately very quickly hit it off beautifully. I kept Bob uh, from being fired uh, three or four times. Uh, I remember once driving uptown. When uh, the station was uh, near Rockefeller Center in the ABC building, when there was an ABC building there, and with the manager Don Beluca, is a terrific guy who ran half of the group of stations, and I said, if you know, if uh, Mike Malardi uh, says uh, you got to fire Bob this time, I say, uh, Don, I'm, it's great working with you, but I won't do that and I won't stay. So, well, I'll do that. Just be patient. See what he has to say. And I ended up once again talking uh, the brass. Uh, into uh, 
why Bob said what he said and uh, explaining his act to them. And, uh, it, you know, it, it worked. You, you, I don't know if you want to go down this road, uh, Frank, but uh, do you remember the um, election of 1994? Oh, sure. This was the uh, that was the uh, Frank Lautenberg incident, right? Yes. Vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis Bob. That was the contract of America. That was an election shocker, almost as shocking as Trump winning. Uh, as far as uh, uh, completely overhauling the Congress, it was not a presidential year for elections. And uh, but it was a Newt Gingrich's contract for America. It put Rush Limbaugh on the map just a few weeks after that election. He, Rush, made the cover of Time magazine with the uh, with the caption, is he good for America? Mm. That's what Rush hadn't reached critical mass entirely until then. So it took six years for him, for the nation, for the media of the nation to really notice him. And that bothered him a lot because he'd come from Sacramento, where he's a huge whale in a tiny pond. And he, he he felt he'd never get arrested in New York, but he certainly did after that. Um, so, um, but yes, uh, well, you know why it was a shocker in New York, because it ended up, it was the end of Mario Cuomo. Oh, yeah. It was the end of Florio. Um, and uh, Lautenberg was in the middle of a, of a conspiracy. Um, Lautenberg, there was a, Bob had a couple of enemies in the public one of whom recorded him all the time and sent uh, out-of-contacts quotes to sponsors and ABC brass and politicians. And Lautenberg collected those and held news conferences to play them because Lautenberg wanted him the hell out of the picture. Uh, I don't know who he wanted to protect the most, but he was leading, and he wasn't up for election that year, but he was leading the campaign to get rid of Bob. And it, but it came to Curtis's attention at the time that a certain group, which I won't name uh, on the air, um, was uh, preparing a white paper on, quote unquote, hate radio. And this was way back then. You know, the word hate is thrown around today, sure. like, you know, rights at a wedding. And um, they were going to make WABC the focus of it and uh, try to get us shut down uh, altogether. And uh, I, uh, Curtis, um, uh, tipped me to it. I. Uh, threatened to blow the whistle on it, and uh, it got uh, shut shut down, the, the uh, releasing of this uh, study, uh, because uh, the group that was behind it was just, uh, I'm sure, terrified of being exposed as uh, working behind the scenes, mm. basically, with Frank Lautenberg to take w get WABC off the air, mainly to get Grant off the air. Mm. By the way, that around that time, Mario Cuomo cornered me at WABC physically, uh, ironically, perhaps near Russia's studio. And I don't even know why he was there. I can't, I thought before, why would he be there? He wasn't on with Russia. I don't know who he would have been visiting. Maybe Leonard J Joy, I don't know. But, um, and he said to me, um, words to the effect of, Manelli, I'll go to Tom Murphy, who was the chairman of ABC, uh, with some information I have, Bob Grant, if he doesn't just shut the blank up uh, and uh, uh, telling all these uh tales and lies and smears and all of that stuff. So I, I have no idea what he meant, if anything, if it was a bluff or not. I went to the manager and uh, he, he said, well, um, he thought it was a bluff. We both decided we shouldn't tell Bob that that happened. And I didn't till years later. Oh, well, while And uh, so and he, uh, the manager went to corporate to, say, to report that. And they said, well, let's 
to let it go. But anyway, I thought it was kind of Cuomo-esque. Oh, no no doubt learned- no, no doubt about it. And obviously we've seen, sons. We, we've seen yes. his son, Andrew, cornering uh, quite a few people uh, with uh, mm-hmm. with alternative motivations uh, than the one that Mario had with you. W- what are your thoughts on the the fall of Andrew Cuomo? Uh, first, uh, tell me your your thoughts on the media's buildup of Andrew Cuomo during covid and th- your thoughts on his political demise. Well, um, uh, uh, I uh, well, of course, it doesn't surprise me at all that the media built him up because the media, you know, was was and is uh, the media would like to have us all wear uh, iron helmets as masks. Uh, the, the media wants us terrified uh, of every development with COVID because it is good for ratings, I have to say, um, which doesn't forgive that in, in my mind at all. But that's just the fact of life. So they loved uh, him. He's a Democrat and he's Mario's son. And um, he was, uh, you know, really strict on uh, COVID, as the people in California seem to appreciate Gavin Newsom for. Uh, and it's ironic that with all those clampdowns, you know, you, you could look at a chart and not really notice any difference compared to them in stations, right. that, uh, states that didn't do that. But um, so. um uh well, when the media loves you, they love you and prop you up and you're invincible because if the media likes you, you cannot be hurt. Uh, they, everything is forgiven. Uh, you're grandfathered in. And but the, when the media turns on you, you'll never work again in your life doing anything because they'll find out about it and they'll blow the whistle on you and try to find something else to rub, rub your face in the dirt even more than it was already. So I don't know. I didn't really much care for Mario Cuomo. I didn't um, uh, I uh, didn't follow him any more than I had to, uh, certainly not being in the biz, being retired from the biz. And uh, so I don't know. I'm not I'm not I'm not the guy to ask about that for him, probably. Well, you didn't much care for Andrew Cuomo. I'm sure you didn't care for Mario, but you, Andrew. You oh, know. I meant that. I, I meant. Uh, yeah, I meant to Andrew. Trust me, I do it three times a day. I think a lot of folks do. Uh, John Minnelli's here, eight hundred eight four eight WABC. John, the last few times that we've spoken, we've talked a little bit about the problems with talk radio today, and you've said, in a nutshell, I'm paraphrasing that it is uh, too political, it's too one sided, and it's not entertaining. I'm wondering what role you think podcasts have played in the current era in scratching the itch that used to be scratched by talk radio. Do you think there are a lot of folks that now traditionally listened to talk radio who've now turned to podcasts? I'm one of them. Um, uh, I I like Joe Rogan. I like, um, um, well, I, uh, I kind of turn even regular radio into podcasts because a lot of uh, companies will put their programming online. And uh, so you can listen to whatever topics the hosts are into that you like uh, and skip around on the show. That turns it into a podcast. So if you don't want to listen to the political stuff, you don't have to. Um, Or the COVID stuff, in which case you're done already with 80 percent of all the shows. Um, I'm trying to think. As soon as I we're done, I, I know I'll think of ten podcasts I listen to. Um, I like. Um, well, I was listening to. Uh, I used to listen to uh, Opie and Anthony uh, on uh, Anthony Cumia has a network, um, which is a kind of a live uh, Monday through Friday podcast. 
situation. It's been going on for quite a few years. Um, but and Joe Rogan, of course, and uh, who are some other top ones? Well, uh, I know Jocko Willink is popular. I know, um, you know, Joe Rogan, of course, is uh, is the the top dog. Um, I mean, there's Adam so, Carolla. Adam Carolla, uh, yeah. I mean, again, depending on your interest, it uh, it depends, and uh, it is interesting to see how a lot of folks that um, had a career in corporate media have branched out to to podcast. Bill O'Reilly, who we carry on this station. Uh, does a very successful uh, podcast platform. Megan Kelly, the same thing, and a lot of other folks have kind of turned to podcasts as their, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, as their primary means of communicating rather than an ancillary means. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Jeff is in Jersey City. Jeff, what's your question for John Manelli? Uh, Frank, John, uh, welcome back, John, to the best station uh, history of radio, and you were you, you helped to make it happen. Uh, I was listening when Lynn Lynn Samuels, in my opinion, is the best. Uh, She was the best. And she helped Rush coming from the Midwest, who a lot of people goofed and said, um, you know, like he's a chicken farmer. He's not going to make it. And uh, and him and Lynn went back and forth a little bit. But Lynn had a good heart. She had a really a good heart. She welcomed him. She helped him get comfortable, in my opinion, even though they teased one another. Because you couldn't find two people, on, you know, more far apart on the opposite ends of the um, political spectrum. But Lynn welcomed everybody, no matter what their opinion was on anything. And even if they were, there was a right wing guy that would call all the time from Staten Island. And she would let him talk and say his piece every day. And if somebody got out of hand a little bit, uh, you know, she'd put her foot down and she would say, you know, uh, okay, that's enough. And even people that were hateful, she let them, uh, you know, get their hate out. And then she'd say, yeah, well, we have hate. You know, we, we have that's a fact of life. Jeff, there are a lot of folks that want to talk to John. Do you have a specific question or do you just want to okay. stroll down memory lane? No, 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 no. I don't want to stroll down memory lane. Um, I want to ask you, uh, John, did you, have, you know Steve Summers, who that is? Pardon? Who, what? There's a there's a sports there's a sports uh, talent. He just retired from FAN. He reminds me most of Lynn Samuels. Similar personality can take any kind of call. And the way that people are successful, if you ask me, they talk to the callers. They're confident. They're self assured, and they talk to the callers because they're not afraid. Nowadays, uh, radio hosts they talk to themselves. Or they they just uh, read, uh, as you said, uh, take a newspaper in, they start reading, they give these uh, endless... uh, All right, Jeff, let me let let John respond here because we only have a four-hour radio show. Get off my (laughs) phone. Anything you want to add, uh, John, or react to uh, based on what Jeff said there? No, Jeff is very perceptive. Uh, I agree with absolutely everything he said. And Lynn was a a great asset to Rush, as uh, Jeff pointed out, because they were back-to-back for a while. And he liked her, took a shine to her, and she, same with him. Politics had nothing to do with their relationship. And um, so uh, that was when Rush was doing WABC only show and uh, for two hours before he went three hours network only. And so uh, that was my whole point, was to do that, which annoyed Rush that I did that, making him basically do two shows. Well, not basically, but do two shows a day. Um, he he thought I should have had more confidence in his uh, network abilities, but uh, but it accomplished, and she helped 
what my intent was, was to introduce him to New York first and then let him talk about the world. But, you know, be New York for a while. Talk New York only for a while. And she helped that. Well, she is New York. Oh, that That is for sure. I still miss listening to her. We'll continue with John Minnelli and your calls in just a second, 800-848-WABC. Meantime, though, if you've been to the grocery store or a restaurant or to a gas station, you have seen how much it costs for everything. The cost of everything is skyrocketing. Well, you know what else the cost of it, it, is skyrocketing? Gold. Gold is going through the roof. If there's one thing that's been true throughout history... It's that gold and silver and other precious metals are a hedge against inflation. So if you think inflation is here to stay, and if you want to accept the fact that it's here and you have to make arrangements for your own long-term financial security, think about converting your existing retirement account into a gold or a silver IRA. And if you do that, do it with legacy precious metals. Gold should really be a part of every wise investor's portfolio, and legacy is the company that you can trust because they give you unbiased information based on your individual situation. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Write this number down, 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. There's all sorts of free information you could request on there. And when you request it, they're going to ask you how you heard about it. Tell them you heard about it from me, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Hey, listen, Ron of Glendale, I tell you what, sometime I want you to show up when I'm making a public appearance. I want you to identify yourself. I don't step into I want, of Satan, houses of iniquity. I, don't I want you to identify yourself so oh, that I can right, punch your stupid nose down your dumb throat. I'll step on you, you old man. You'll step on me, yeah. huh? Get off my phone. W-A-B-C. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 W-A-B-C. the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Vin, very much enjoying talking with John Minnelli, a man who's forgotten more about radio than I'll ever know, a guy who has helped build this radio station into the talk giant that it is today. John, now one listener emailed me on uh, Lynn Samuels. He asked if you were the one that plucked her off WBAI and put her on WABC. Was that your doing or did someone else get the credit for that? Uh, well, Denise McEntee, who was uh, my assistant program director, uh, told me about her because she was a big fan of her on BAI. So Lynn discovered her. And then I approached Lynn and I asked her for uh, uh, some kind of a tape because I, uh, I wanted to hear what she thought was her best work. And uh, she sent me one where she had the, every technical glitch you could possibly have one day. And uh, which is something most people would never think to send to to uh, uh, get a job, uh, a, a totally defective tape where everything went wrong. And uh, but uh, sh- she sent me it because she kind of had a I don't care, I'll do what I want way. And she flirted with danger constantly, um, the third rail, as it were. And I thought it was so funny the way that she handled it and so fast on her feet, the way she dealt with it. 
that I, I, I must hire her. She's hired. I just said, now we got to figure out where to put her and what's her going to be her uh, career track here. Well, it certainly uh, it certainly was a blessing for the listeners of this uh, listening area. 800-848-WABC. I'd like to try and squeeze in at least a couple more calls, well, at least one or two here. Chris is in Staten Island. Chris, what's your question for John Minnelli? As they traveled around the country, two of the, the funniest people I ever heard was Doug Track, who replaced Howard Stern in D.C. He's, he's the Grease man, and Phil Hendry, who was in Southern California. And I just wondered, you know, they both syndicated, went national, and then they kind of disappeared. And I wonder if there's a place in radio for those type of shows, because I haven't heard anything like them. I can only find tapes of them on YouTube. I mean, well, uh, I, um, the Grease Man wasn't my cup of tea, but Hendry was. I thought he was very good. Uh, and he would, uh, for those who don't know, he would uh, be his own callers. He would be his own guests. Uh, he's almost a ventriloquist in, in that way. But the station, uh, KFI, where he was based, or perhaps the syndicator because he was on a few other stations, finally said, you have to announce what you're doing. You can't just do it and have people wonder if it's real or not. And the minute that was exposed, which most people figured it was anyway, but when it became formal and official, I think it kind of killed his act. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Chris. Hey, John, it is always such a treat to talk with you, and uh, I hope we can do this again soon. I appreciate the time this morning. I, I enjoyed it, Frank. I always do. So well, let's do it again and not wait so long. Sounds good to me. Terrific. The great John Minnelli. Uh, we'll, we have a lot more show coming your way. Judge Andrew Napolitano next hour and denunciations. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I really enjoyed that hour with John Minnelli. Uh, I hope you did too. You know, it's sometimes when you're on four hours a day, you have to do stuff that you really want to enjoy hearing, and even if you're not sure if other people will. And that might have been one of those hours, but I liked it, so I hope you did too. Hey, uh, it is Friday, so that means there are a couple of people that need to be called out for their shenanigans, as they are each and every week at this time as part of... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciation. Ah, yes. This is not a list you want to be on, folks. I am forced to denounce the person, I'm not going to say this person's name because I'm of the belief that we shouldn't say these teenage school shooters' names because I think a lot of them are mentally unbalanced and they thrive on being famous, even if it's fame that's after they're dead. But uh, I want to denounce this school shooter in Detroit, a 15-year-old sophomore who killed three students and injured eight others at Oxford High School in Detroit. Uh, uh, What can you say? If there's anybody that's more worthy of a denunciation, I don't know them. I want to denounce 
Craig Tamahana. Tamahana? No. Tamanaha. Tamanaha. There you go. Craig Tamanaha, who set fire to the Christmas tree outside the New York Post and Fox News Channel building. Now, I don't know what kind of a miserable human being you have to be to set fire to a Christmas tree in the middle of midtown Manhattan. Now, I understand he he's homeless. I'm sure he has a history of drug abuse. It's, in my view, you can't use homelessness and drugs or alcoholism or mental illness as a perpetual excuse for antisocial behavior. You burn down a Christmas tree, you're getting denounced, as is the case with Craig Tamanaha. I want to denounce Bishop Antonio Stagliano in Italy. He is a Sicilian bishop, and I have an issue with what he told clergy and parishioners in Italy. He basically said Santa Claus, not basically, he said Santa Claus was not real. This is what he said, addressing a group of parishioners, including children. Santa Claus is an imaginary character. Children's jaws dropped and the holiday wool fell from their eyes as this bishop continued to stick it to Santa who he said had no interest in families strapped for cash. The red color of his coat was chosen by Coca-Cola for advertising purposes. He uses the image to depict itself. Well, he added, the bishop added, uses the image to depict itself as an emblem of healthy values. I have a big issue with this. Uh, This bishop should have left Santa Claus out of it. You want to talk about how Christmas should be about a time of fellowship, of giving, of sacrifice, of of remembering Jesus, of family, whatever. I think that's all great messaging. But once you choose to destroy children's hopes and dreams by declaring for them that there's no Santa Claus, I got a big problem with you. So, Bishop Antonio Stegliano, I do denounce you. I must also denounce, you know, we've been getting a lot of packages delivered to our house on a regular basis, a lot of gifts for little Carmine. Grateful for all the gifts, by the way. Thank you. But I have to denounce the delivery people, and it doesn't matter whether it's Amazon, UPS, Postal Service even sometimes, all these delivery people that leave packages outside your door, but they leave it right in front of your door so that you can't even fully open your door. Essentially, it becomes a reverse doorstop. Oh, I got a package here. Let me go out and see what it is. Oh, I can't open my door. I can't get out of my own house because there's a giant Amazon package blocking the door. Guys! I'm sure there are a lot of Amazon delivery people listening to us right now, or UPS or whatever, FedEx. Leave a little space. Make sure people can open the door outward. Otherwise, you you, you have to open the door and, and either force the package down 
potentially damaging it or squeeze through it like the blob. Get with the program. So if you're one of those delivery packages that thinks it's cute to leave these packages so close to the door that people can't open it, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the New York City Housing Authority, who for the fourth year in a row has been named by New York City's public advocate as the worst landlord in this city. That's right. When it comes to being a landlord, there is no one worse than Bill de Blasio. NYCHA is abysmal. It has been overseen by a federal monitor since early 2019 due to decrepit conditions in its building. As of November, was responsible for 600,480 open work orders. That is up by more than 120,000 from the same point last year. The repair backlog is also more than 100,000 orders higher than when de Blasio took office in 2014. As Jamani Williams said, in the last year and a half, it seems like everything has changed. But even amidst this pandemic, some things have stayed constant. And that constant is that the city itself is truly the worst landlord. You know, I hope if de Blasio runs for governor against Jamani Williams, that Jamani Williams makes this an issue. Uh, because de Blasio deserves to be called to the carpet on this one. Because NYCHA housing, and I know we have a lot of listeners in NYCHA housing right now, NYCHA housing is absolutely atrocious, and uh, there's no reason New Yorkers should be forced to live like this in public housing. I want to denounce, and I know Dominic Carter spent his show, whole show talking about this, but I want to denounce the group of teens that attacked a 67-year-old during a bus dispute. And when I walked in last night, I'm not joking, Dominic Carter was crying after watching the video of these teens, including one wielding a hammer, beat up this poor 67-year-old man on the B6 bus in East Flatbush. I don't know where these children were raised or how you begin to think it's okay to beat up an old person, but that is completely and totally alien to me. And if you're listening, if you're a miscreant teen that beats up old people, 67 is actually not even that old. If you're a miscreant teen that beats up your elders, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the Dutchess County Democrats who have admitted to spreading a false rumor that Republican County Executive Mark Molinaro tested positive for COVID. Now, Mark Molinaro has been a vocal foe of Governor Hochul's mask mandate for businesses. A lot of people have. A lot of county executives, including the new one coming in in uh, Nassau County, Bruce Blakeman. But this is what the Dutchess County Democratic Committee's uh, Facebook page said on Wednesday. Rumor has it that Molinaro has COVID. We will keep you posted. Then they add, the rumors appear to be true. Molinaro has tested positive for COVID. Now, that is absolutely atrocious. This guy doesn't have COVID. And yet this hoax went on. 
Molinero's father died of COVID. You think the Molinero family takes this stuff seriously? I'm betting they do. And yet it didn't stop his political opponents from exploiting this. Why? To what end? Is that where we are in politics now, that you can just lie about your opponent? If so, that's a shame. I want to denounce Alvis Parrish. Alvis Parrish poisoned her boyfriend's lemonade because he wouldn't shut up. She admitted to poisoning his lemonade uh, with an antipsychotic medication because he wouldn't stop talking. Now, heaven forbid my wife learns from this woman because there are a lot of moments where I don't stop talking. And she bragged about it. She even she said, yeah, I did it because he wouldn't shut the blank up. She then vowed to kill the man as she was taken into custody. Do whatever you want. If you don't take me, I will kill him. So there you have it. Seems like a healthy relationship. You know what? I've always wondered, if you're at the point where you're poisoning your romantic partner, why not just break up? It's probably a time to call it quits. Say, hit the road, Jack, rather than than poisoning someone. And finally, I want to denounce pro wrestler Devin Nicholson, a.k.a. Hannibal, at a world-class pro wrestling event in Irving, Texas on Saturday, this lunatic, after the match was over, cut the referee's head with a spike. He put a spike in the referee's head. This guy had to be hospitalized. So he tweeted uh, that he's still a bit fuzzy and in pain. Yes, lots of pain, but I'll, I'll, I'll live. They're calling from, for this guy to be banned from wrestling. Um, this is completely inappropriate. Guys, The I'm all for pushing the envelope in pro wrestling. Look, I watched ECW. Some of my favorite wrestlers were extreme wrestlers like uh, Terry Funk and uh, Mick Foley. A, a lot of other folks. The Sandman. Sabu. Sabu. Forget about it. But... It doesn't sound like the referee was in on the joke here. It sounds like this guy, Devin Nicholson, just went way too far. Pro wrestling is supposed to be about telling a story with your bodies in a manner that's entertaining to fans. It's not supposed to be about sending people to the hospital. And when you stick a head, a spike in someone's head, I mean, to me, that crosses the line from entertainment to the completely inappropriate. Um, All right. Well, if you did something bad this week and you did not get denounced, count yourself lucky. But I'm keeping my eye on you. Keeping my eye on you. Just like Santa Claus. I have a list. And I'm checking it twice. Hey, you know who I will definitely not be denouncing? Anybody that purchases Life Change Tea. I love, love, love Life Change Tea. I drink it just about every day. I haven't actually made a batch this week. I'm behind this week because uh, we, we've had, we've been busy at home. So I want to encourage you to try this stuff. GetTheTea.com is a wonderful website, which is your portal to purchasing not just Life Change Tea, but a variety of other supplements. Now, what's Life Change Tea? As you heard from Joe from Ronkonkoma, it's a gentle daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things 
moving. It gives you a ton of energy. And if you are feeling stopped up and bloated, that is never a good thing. Life Change Tea is all natural and it's non-GMO. One package will last you an entire month. Life Change Tea is only available by logging on to the website GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. And if you use the promo code FRANK, you will get to enjoy some free shipping. Promo code FRANK for some free shipping. While you're there, check out all these other great products. Don't miss out. Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. It is the tea that makes you go. Speaking of going, don't go anywhere. Because Judge Andrew Napolitano is joining me next. We're going to talk about this Julian Assange situation. I think it's crazy what's going on, quite frankly. We'll see if, if uh, Judge Napolitano agrees with me. And whether he agrees with me or not, I want to get his legal perspective as well and uh, get him to weigh in on what the Supreme Court is doing with respect to abortion. Stay tuned to Judge Andrew Napolitano on this, The Other Side of Midnight. <laughs> 77 WABC, All-American. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, running down Santa Claus Lane. Blitz and blitz and all the reindeer pulling on the rain. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. You know, whether you're talking politics, culture, business, even health care, it seems like at the end of the day, everything becomes a legal question. Somebody's suing somebody, someone's arresting somebody, and ultimately it seems like too often you need to get this straightened out in the courts. Well, uh, for my money, there has never been a legal analyst better than Judge Andrew Napolitano. I've read uh, multiple books that he's written. I feel I, it's one of those experiences where I find that I'm I feel smarter after I read one of his books. He's uh, somebody that has been really, really dazzling in terms of authoring independent legal commentary on television, on the Internet and in on the printed page. He was also the youngest New Jersey Superior Court judge in that state's history. And I am thrilled that he's agreed to stay up late with us tonight. Judge, it is great to talk with you again. How have you been? Well, Frank, it's a pleasure. And thank you for that very generous introduction, my dear friend. Well, I miss seeing you on, uh, on TV, but you are just tearing it up on uh, JudgeNap.com. you got this great podcast on there, which people should check out uh, if they're interested in learning about some of these hot-button uh, legal issues. Uh, well, you... you're kind to mention that. You know, I was at Fox for 24 years, and they put me on air. You ready for this number? 14,500 times. <laughs> and most of those times were looking in the camera and explaining what the hell just happened. What did the Supreme Court just do? What did this judge just rule? What did this lawyer just say? So nowadays, I, I go and sit in front of my uh, laptop, and I do the same thing. And when there's breaking news, whether it's the Rittenhouse verdict or uh, the uh, Aubrey verdict or something like that, I, or, or Mark Meadows and contempt of Congress. I look in the camera, and in about three or four minutes, I explain it, 
and then I tell them where to send their questions, and the questions come in, and then I go back on and I answer the questions. Uh, it's, so, a, it's a terrific podcast. It's called Judging Freedom. People can access it through JudgeNap.com. I have been so eager to ask you about the Julian Assange case. Can you give our listeners a little bit of background? What exactly are the charges that he's facing, and how strong do you think the case against him is at this point? Okay, I have very strong opinions on this case. I'm going to save my opinions for the end. I'm going to explain this right down the line. So Julian Assange, during the Bush administration, George W. Bush, uh, received uh, secret cables and videos which were stolen from uh, the government uh, by Bradley Manning. Uh, Bradley Manning was a, um, a non-commissioned officer in the Army who had a top security uh, clearance and who had access to these materials by virtue of his work. And he stole them and gave them to Julian Assange. And Julian Assange, uh, as the head of WikiLeaks, which is a, a sort of a bohemian renegade media outlet, but it's a media outlet like WABC, like Fox, published them. And they were hugely embarrassing to the government. I mean, it showed uh, American uh, military uh, using drones to kill civilians in Afghanistan and to laugh about it and to do this repeatedly. There were also many, many other uh, cables and emails in there which directly uh, showed that President Bush, and this stuff came out after Bush was out of the White House, President Bush had been lying to the American public and many of the people around him had been lying uh, as well. Bradley Manning was prosecuted, convicted, and sentenced to 45 years in jail. While in jail, he had a sex change operation, and he now is known as Chelsea Manning. He uh, committed the crime, uh, he pled guilty to it, and he got this huge sentence. President Barack Obama uh, commuted the sentence and set him free. Julian Assange was indicted under the Trump administration the Obama administration did not indict him under the Trump administration, uh, went before a grand jury in Virginia and got an indictment for um, sedition, for uh, using the secrets of the government in an effort to overthrow it. Uh, because he is not in the United States and because he was holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, a place where even British authorities can't go. The government couldn't do anything about mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. One day, they said the heck with this, and they raided the Ecuadorian embassy. They broke in, and they kidnapped him, and they brought him before a British judge, and they served him with the American indictment and request for extradition, and he's been in jail in London, in a, a really hellish jail called Belmarsh Prison in the outskirts of London. He's been there for three and a half years while the extradition works its way through the courts. So the American government asked the British government to extradite him. They had a, a four-month trial, but it's a trial before a judge without a jury. Uh, the judge ruled he should not be extradited because he is um, uh, mentally very weak and because the CIA had threatened to kill him and made that threat known publicly. And if he came to the United States, the judge ruled he would be killed in prison. Hmm. The uh, British government appealed that to an intermediate appellate court of two judges, and they reversed the trial judge and said, yes, he can be extradited. And that's where the case sits now. The decision by the two judges just came down last week, Frank, that the, there, there are two more appeals that are available to him. I can't predict which way it's going to go. Now, that is a very, in my opinion, neutral, sterile Absolutely. 
fair explanation of what happened. Here is the law. The law is the Pentagon Papers case when Daniel Ellsberg did just what Bradley Manning did, stole secret government documents for which he had a top a secret government clearance, gave them to the New York Times and to the Washington Post, which published them. And the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that the government could not stop the publication and could not harm a hair on the head of the reporters and publishers of the New York Times and the Washington Post because these are matters material to the public interest and they are protected by the First Amendment. Julian Assange is in the exact same position as the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Daniel Ellsberg was in the exact same position as Bradley Manning. Daniel Ellsberg was prosecuted for the theft of these documents. You may remember this story, though sure. it happened before you were born, Frank. The FBI broke into Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office to get secret psychiatrist records about him. The trial judge was so furious at what the FBI did, he dismissed the charges against Ellsberg, and the government decided not to appeal. So the law is the thief, the actual thief who hands the secret documents to the publisher commits a very serious crime and can and should be punished. It's often a person that the government trusted with a top secret uh, clearance sure. that went rogue. But the publisher to whom these documents are given not only does not commit a crime, but commits a public performs a public service by revealing the government warts and all. It, it would seem to me that even the uh, Justice Department lawyers in the Trump administration could read the uh, Pentagon Papers precedent and the Ellsberg precedent just as well as you just did and not bring about a prosecution. And when I raised this with some people that were supportive of a prosecution at the time, they indicated, well, they're not going after Assange for publishing this material. They're going after him for assisting in a hack uh, in helping get classified material. Well, you know, that issue was raised in the uh, Pentagon Papers case as well. And the Supreme Court said, well, look, Ellsberg just didn't show up at the doorstep of the New York Times and say here to the concierge at the front. Of course, he had some communications uh, with reporters. Those communications are expected and those communications are protected uh, by by the First Amendment. Some of the charges against Assange don't make sense because he's not an American citizen and he doesn't have a duty of loyalty to uh, the American government. Some of the charges are, are for treason. But it's, it's impossible for him to commit sure. treason. He can only commit treason against the country of which he is a citizen. Um, so I feel very strongly, as did many in the Justice Department and the Trump administration, this went back and forth. A lot of libertarians were in that Justice Department. It went back and forth and back and forth. And finally, the president himself said, I want this guy indicted. So they went and they got the indictment. You know, the grand jury will always give you the indictment when you present a minimal amount of evidence to them. The decision really was a policy decision. What is to be gained by going after him now? It was wrong, in my opinion, for President Obama to have commuted the sentence of Bradley mm -hmm. Manning without also pardoning Julian Assange. He should have done it all the way or not at all. So what is exactly happening now that the courts have ruled that Assange can be extradited to the United States? Where do you see this case going from here? It well, was... there are two more appeals. If, if, uh, if he loses both appeals... Uh, he will be flown uh, to Dulles, 
the, the law is that when you are not in the United States or when the crime you are alleged to have committed was uh, against the government or the government's interests or an American or American's property and you're outside the U.S., you are tried in the district in which you first enter the U.S. Now, the government takes great advantage of that because they have Dulles Airport in northern Virginia, and there's a courthouse right near Dulles Airport where the feds never lose. I don't know why this is, but they just never lose criminal cases in that <laughs> courthouse. So whenever they bring somebody in, they're not going to bring them to San Francisco. <laughs> they're not going to bring them to Los Angeles. They're not going to bring them to Manhattan. They're going to bring them to Dulles Airport in Virginia. He'll be housed in a temporary facility there during the pendency of the trial, and the trial will take years before there's an actual resolution of it. Unless a, an American president, and I don't know that this is Joe Biden's thing, but unless an American president decides to pardon him. You know, understood. Well, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how that plays out. If we're, if you people are just tuning in, we're talking with Judge Andrew Napolitano, former New Jersey Superior Court judge. You can check out his commentary on a regular basis by going to judgenap.com. Judge, uh, you alluded to drone strikes as being some of the information that WikiLeaks published that uh, Chelsea Manning helped uh, funnel to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. There was some news on the drone strike front this week. The Pentagon announced that nobody, not a single person, was going to be punished for the drone strike that killed 10 innocent civilians in Afghanistan uh, in the aftermath of our botched exit from Afghanistan, including seven children. Judge, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, if we're not going to punish somebody for murdering 10 innocent people, I mean, what are we punishing someone for in the military? Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know the facts except the broad brush facts, which is that we used drones, we struck the wrong target, we killed innocent people, and we killed children and babies. Someone committed an act of criminally negligent homicide. This is the same thing that the parents of that crazy kid in Michigan who shot up four students mm -hmm. in the school. This is the same thing that the parents are charged with. They may not have intended the death, but their behavior was so reckless they gave a gun to a crazy kid. They must have known their kid was crazy, that they are vicariously liable for what he did. It's, it's the exact same crime. The military should not protect its own like this. Whoever was so reckless as to direct those drones um, at, at civilians uh, ought to be punished. You know, there's a long history of people not being punished uh, for, for the use of drones. I mean, Assange and, and Manning exposed a lot of this. The most famous case or infamous case of this is Anwar Alaki, who, though he was an imam in Yemen, right, was, was an American born citizen. in New Mexico. Yeah. So he was an American citizen sitting in a cafe in the desert having tea with his son and a, and a drone aimed at him by the Obama administration, blew away the father, blew away the son, blew away the son's American friend. The son was a, um, a young teenager. And President Obama defended it. Yeah, it, it's murder. I, I don't know how you could defend that. Well, it's it's one of the reasons I've always felt both Assange and uh, and uh, Snowden and uh, Manning all did something of a public service by exposing some of what was going on here. And uh, I think it was. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this Assange case is uh, is some litigated. Some of us lobbied former President Trump very aggressively, including the person now speaking to you. Uh, to pardon Assange and to pardon Snowden. We came within an inch on Snowden. Uh, Trump wasn't interested in Assange. 
very, very odd, especially given the role WikiLeaks played in the 2016 presidential yes. candidate campaign. Uh, let yes. me ask you about vaccines. We're seeing some uh, somewhat alarming numbers out of New York as it relates to COVID. They're saying COVID hospitalizations are up 70 percent here in New York since Thanksgiving. Mayor de Blasio has instituted a vaccine mandate that's going to affect all private sector companies, including this one. Uh, same day, uh, President Biden is asking the Supreme Court to revive the health worker vaccine mandate. Putting aside the wisdom of these mandates, Judge, where is this going to shake out legally? Both Biden's efforts nationally and Governor Hochul and Mayor de Blasio here in New York. Where do you see this playing out? How do you see it going? The Supreme Court of the United States has ruled. Well, well, let me let me back up. The people, the lawyers, the legal community in favor of what President Biden is doing point to a 1905 Supreme Court opinion, excuse me, Frank, called Jacobson versus Massachusetts, in which the Supreme Court said the state of Massachusetts could forcibly inoculate Mr. Jacobson against smallpox. He was refusing the vaccine. The case went all the way uh, to the Supreme Court. The, the issue was whether or not the, the state had the authority to cleanse the public health by giving an inoculation of a vaccine that was certain, that was known not to be harmful and definitely to cure him, but giving him a very, very infinitesimal um, uh, case of smallpox, which is the way the vaccines uh, worked. That case has been overruled. It's been overruled by three Supreme Court opinions, which now stand for the opposite. They stand for the proposition that you own your own body. You decide what goes into and what comes out of your body, and the government can't trump, lowercase t, that decision. So the first uh, legal argument here is that no government has the authority to force you to take an experimental vaccine. And in fact, the Nuremberg Laws, which is basically a treaty that all the countries in the Western world signed shortly after World War II, prohibit the governments of the signatories, and Harry Truman signed the treaty, uh, from forcing anybody to take an experimental vaccine. And we know that these vaccines are experimental. Footnote, I have had all three shots, and it's my, cho my choice to do so. And I encourage my family members to do so. We're not talking about the wisdom or the soundness of the vaccine. We're talking about whether or not the government can force it. So point one, the government can't force it. Point two, these orders to take the vaccine are coming from the executive branch. Mayor de Blasio, Governor Hochul, President Biden. In our system, Frank, and everybody listening to us now knows this from high school civics and social studies, the legislature writes the laws, not the executive. The city council would have to write this law. The legislature of the state of New York would have to write the law. Congress would have to write the law. The chief executive of a government enforces the law. He or she doesn't make the law. So, uh, so that is flaw number two. Judge, let's flaw say number three is this stuff is an experiment and sometimes people die from it. They have the right to make their own choices. Well, let's say and I'm fully vaccinated as well. But let's say someone working here, for instance, didn't want to get vaccinated. And uh, let's say that, an that is a decision of the management 
of WABC. Mm. It's not a decision of the government. The government can't fill potholes. The government can't stop robocalls. The government can't deliver the mail. They certainly can't tell the wonderful people that own WABC or Fox or NBC or the New York Post how to operate their businesses. It is interesting that you alluded to your choice and your body to get the vaccine. That is a refrain that we frequently hear when it comes to the subject of abortion. Frank, it is Roe versus Wade that reversed that Jacobson against Massachusetts decision. Mm. There's actually a good part to Roe versus Wade, which says the government can't tell you to do with with what your body. The problem with Roe versus Wade is... It's another body. It's another person inside of you called the baby. So catch us up with where we are with the Texas abortion law and other similar states like Louisiana passing their own heartbeat abortion laws. What has the Supreme Court done at this point and where are we in the whole process of their review of these state abortion restrictions? Okay, so Roe versus Wade and its subsequent uh, opinion, Planned Parenthood versus Casey basically say that abortions uh, are absolutely lawful and can't be interfered with, I mean, other than to make sure that they're, they're properly performed by a healthcare professional uh, during the first trimester of pregnancy, roughly 23 or 24 weeks. Texas said, the heck with this. We are not going to allow abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detected. That's after six weeks. And a lot of women don't even know that they're pregnant after six weeks, but that's the Texas law. It's in direct defiance of the two Supreme Court opinions. So what did the Supreme Court decide to do? The Supreme Court did something that hasn't happened since before the Civil War. It has allowed the legislature of a state to nullify a federal law. So basically what Texas did is to say Roe versus Wade is wrong and it doesn't apply in the state of Texas. And the Supreme Court said you can do that until the case comes to us and we decide if the Texas statute is unconstitutional. In my opinion, before the Texas case even reaches the Supreme Court, because of the Mississippi case, which says – no abortions after 15 weeks of of pregnancy. The Supreme Court will have invalidated Roe versus Wade, and that will have mooted uh, the the Texas uh, argument, and it will be up to each individual state. So I live in New Jersey. Abortions are lawful. Are you ready for this? Up to the moment before birth. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Worst state in the union. Yeah. Well, I, again, I, again, I think if we were to uh, have a whole discussion about the uh, the policy of abortion, that's one thing. What I always value your wisdom on is the the legality and what the Supreme Court's going to do and where where why they're doing it. And uh, I feel a bit enlightened already in terms of this Texas abortion law. Finally, Judge, I was speaking with our mutual friend Roger Stone yesterday. He was very excited to hear that you were going to be on the show today, and uh, I am curious what your view is of his legal strategy as it relates to this January 6th committee. He's decided to plead the Fifth Amendment. Mark Meadows initially decided to cooperate. Now he's not going to cooperate. Where do you see this whole January 6th operation going? And did people like Roger... Roger and I are boyhood friends, and I have given Roger from time to time time, some legal advice. He doesn't need it from me. He has very competent uh, counsel. However... When the government wants your testimony and you assert your Fifth Amendment right, as Roger Stone plans to do do tomorrow in Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C., 
he has an absolute right to do so. And he can't, they can't harm a hair on his head for doing so because you have a natural human right to remain silent, just like you have a natural human right to express your opinion. Your right to express your opinion is protected by the First Amendment. Your right to remain silent is protected by the Fifth Amendment. But it requires total silence, meaning you can't pick and choose which questions you want to answer, which questions you don't want to answer. So Stone and his lawyers know this. And I'm sure that he will assert the Fifth Amendment to every question put to him, including what is your name and where do you live? <laughs> Judge Mark in- Meadows, whom I've known for years and who I respect and admire in many respects, made the dreadful, awful mistake of partial compliance. By doing so, he waived all of his privileges. Mm. He waived the executive privilege that President Trump has been attempting to assert, and he, more fundamentally, he waived his own Fifth Amendment privilege. Once you waive that privilege by answering anything, the time of day, the color of your necktie, the, the, was the light red or green, it could be, if, once, once you waive that privilege, it's gone. So Mark is in very serious trouble, far more serious than even Steve Bannon. Bannon didn't cooperate. Bannon just refused to show up. Stone is cooperating by showing up and taking the fifth. That is the perfect thing to do, and that's the standard advice that lo- that lawyers should give. But who gave Mark Meadows this advice and how this came about uh, is the stuff that uh, law students and, and legal scholars will be studying for generations because this is this is textbook wrong. It sounds like he should uh, keep you on speed dial, as I will going forward, Judge. Judge, it is so great talking with you again. You've got to be a regular on this show. I, I know that this is breakfast time for you, but I've been up for 18 hours just to be with my buddy Frank. you got that. You got to tell your listeners how we became friends. Uh, uh, that, well, that's right. You know, we actually we actually uh, first started interacting when I was still working with Curtis, and then our relationship sort right. of went, it got into a pressure cooker when I uh, produced your your old buddy, your high school classmate, Joe Piscopo, and uh, right, he's a great right, guy right, and still sings right. your praises all as the time. Tired as I am, the very mention of his name makes me smile. <laughs> <laughs> Judge, uh, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time, and oh, I'll look forward to seeing you, Frank. Soon. All the best. We'll do it again soon. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. To see Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum Our finest gifts we bring Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum Rum-pa-pum-pum Rum-pa-pum-pum Now, these are two iconic recording artists, both no longer with us, David Bowie and Bing Crosby. And what this is, is it's a combination of two great Christmas songs. You have Peace on Earth, and you have Little Drummer Boy. 
And it's from 1977, Bing Crosby's TV special, Bing Crosby's Merry Old Christmas. And it's Crosby singing Little Drummer Boy and then Bowie singing Peace on Earth. Yeah, let me hear a little bit more of this. Every child must be made So after this was broadcast in 1977, you... What is that noise? Oh, even my phone is playing it. After this was broadcast in 1977, it was unavailable for years. And then it was released as a single by RCA Records back in 1982. And it was a smashing success. And it was really, it was Bing Crosby's last big hit. It was his final popular hit. And one of the best-selling singles of David Bowie's career, who's also no longer with us. Uh, I'll take your calls in uh, just a second. 800-848-WABC. There are one, two, three, four, five, six open lines if you want to comment on uh, my discussion with Judge Andrew Napolitano. Really interesting discussion with Judge Andrew Napolitano. You know, the the thing that I took away from that, well, I took a lot away from it, but one of the things are, is, one of the things is, was, is, was, was, is, that if you're going to not testify in a proceeding, and this is so important, and they never stress this in defendant school or would-be defendant school, if you're going to testify in a proceeding, you've got to plead the fifth the whole way through, the whole way through. And it's easy to plead the fifth. Now, they don't really – it used to be, if you see it in the movies, like prior to 1980, if somebody was going to plead the fifth, they'd just say, oh, I plead the fifth. Now they don't like to say that anymore because they feel that it sounds too guilty, pleading the fifth. So now it's a big thing. It's like, uh, well, I'm going to respectfully decline to answer based on the, the the privileges and the rights afforded to me in the United States Constitution. Now, how much better does that sound than just pleading the fifth? Now, this is – I don't remember what this was from. I think it was from a, a, a congressional hearing. But here's someone pleading the fifth. As much as I wish to be able to answer the members' questions, uh, I have been advised by my counsel that it is the better course for me to assert my – constitutional right to decline to answer questions under the Fifth Amendment. On the advice of my attorney, I must respectfully decline to answer any questions put forth to me by this committee. Mr. Stover. See, that's what's so great about that. You notice how he began? As much as I wish to answer the question. That's like Mario DeRay. As much as I wish I could attend, my present position precludes me from doing so. As much as I wish... That I could answer the question. If you wish to answer the question, you'd answer the question. But there's, of course, you remember the the pharma bro, Martin Shkreli? I think he's out of prison now. This is him pleading the fifth. On the advice of counsel, I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination and respectfully decline to answer your question. Respectfully decline. I want to be the guy when I'm called before Congress, before a congressional committee. In fact, I have friends that are in Congress. I'm going to try and get one of them to call me as a witness to something just so I can plead the fifth and say, you know what? I'm not respectfully declining to answer. I'm I'm disrespectfully declining to answer. Now, you remember the gatekeepers or the gate crashers, Tariq Salahi and his wife or girlfriend at the time that broke into a party at the White House, supposedly, and Peter King made this a big issue when he was the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. They, this was, this was their version of pleading the fifth. We also understand the committee received our attorney's letter and our attached declaration indicating that, based on advice of counsel, we intended to assert our constitutional right 
to remain silent and decline to answer any questions if we were to be subpoenaed to appear before the committee. We find it unfortunate that the committee nonetheless required us to appear in person to invoke our Fifth Amendment rights under the United States Constitution to remain silent, even though it is against the ethical rules of the D.C. Bar to do so. Mm. Indeed, Congressman Waxman chastised this exact conduct in another hearing. We reiterate that, on advice of counsel, we respectfully invoke our right to remain silent. Respectfully. Respectfully invoke. And, you know, uh, David Wildstein, who you could hear as the host of the New Jersey Globe Power Hour Saturday afternoon, does a great job. He's been a guest on this show and uh, actually one of the smartest people when it comes to New Jersey politics that there is. He, remember, was caught up in the whole Bridgegate situation and he pled the fifth. On the advice of my counsel, I respectfully assert my right to remain silent under the United States and New Jersey constitutions. But the key is, as you heard from Judge Napolitano, that if you're going to plead the fifth, you have to do it all the way. You can't even say your name. I remember I was covering a mafia trial one time, and they had the, uh, a gas station owner or something come in. And you could tell this guy was nervous. I think his name was Mike Najidi. And he was nervous, had never been in court before, you could tell. And he was all prepared to plead the fifth. The prosecutor knew he was going to plead the fifth, and she was ready to offer him immunity so that he could testify. And... Uh, <laughs> He gets up there on the stand. He's in a suit. You can tell it's a guy that's not necessarily used to wearing a suit. And um, the prosecutor asks him, is your name Mike Najidi? And he says, yes. And then he says, but I plead the fifth. (laughs) And the prosecutor started laughing. And then the guy right away realized he screwed up because you're not even supposed to answer, you know, any question, including your name, as you heard from Judge Napolitano there. But – but whatever, they worked it out. She gave him immunity, and uh, and he testified, and the rest is history. There were a lot of good stories from those uh, mafia days. I, I always used to – you know, the problem with covering trials these days is there are no trials. That's why I love spending time around uh, guys like Arthur Idala because he's one of the few guys – one of the few criminal defense attorneys that actually sees the inside of a courtroom. Everything these days is pled out. Plea bargain, plea bargain, plea bargain, bargain. I like to see trials. I used to – one of my favorite people to talk to was a lawyer, an old mob lawyer named Charlie Carnese. He had other clients too, but he was a mob lawyer specialist. And uh, Charlie passed away a couple of years ago. I think it was liver cancer. Great guy, wonderful guy. And I would sit with him every day in the cafeteria of the courtroom, and he would entertain me forever with just these stories. I would just ask him about all the stories, and he'd go for hours. And who knows how many of them were true. But he had just a very – a great way of speaking – and he, most of his clients were gangsters. And he's describing to me a story where one of his clients was an old man. And he was an old man in prison whose criminal cohorts decided they wanted to murder. So Charlie's telling the story and he says, so I'm representing this guy. And some other guys decided they didn't want him around no more. So they came up with this plan to give him a poison sandwich. And they said, look, Charlie gets to see him in prison. We're going to give Charlie the poison sandwich and get him to eat it. And then we'll be done with this whole thing. So I said, Charlie, what happened? Did you give him the poison sandwich? Did the guy die? He says, funny you should ask. They decided not to do it. Why? Well, they knew this guy. 
And they knew that he was an older man, a gentleman. And they knew that if I brought him a sandwich in prison, that being the gentleman that he was, he would offer me half of it. And knowing the glutton that I am, they knew I would eat it. So they were ready to kill their friend, but they weren't ready to kill their friend's lawyer. Uh, those are the kind of stories that Charlie would tell on a regular basis, and uh, it was just so great. Hey, if you're going to afford a high-priced criminal defense attorney like an Arthur Idala, you really need to be investing in gold. I told my wife, after she repays my son the money that she borrowed from him, and we opened this this 529 account for his college, I told my wife, I want to put all of little Carmine's money in gold. Because, look, if you look at what is happening, gold is going up, 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 and up. And the worse inflation gets, the worse it is for everybody that needs to buy anything, and the higher the price of gold and silver is going to be. And that's what Legacy Precious Metals specializes in. They want to help you invest in gold. A lot of you understand the concept of investing in gold, but then you're not exactly sure how to go about actually investing in gold. Well, this is how you do it. Call Legacy Precious Metals, 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. And if you have your money, whether you're currently retired or whether you're a few years away from retirement, if you have your money in a traditional retirement account, think about rolling it into a gold or a silver IRA. Do it with Legacy Precious Metals. You can also go to the website, LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. When they ask you where you heard about it, tell them you heard about it from me, Frank Morano. You can request information for free. I've done it. And they send you a lot of great information, and it'll ask you where you heard it. And you can say, Frank Morano, LegacyPMInvestments.com. 800-848-9222-1234. Open lines. Let me say hello to Diana in Manhattan. Hello, Diana. Hi, it's Diana Montford. As always, I love your show. Thank you. Your conversation with Judge Napolitano was the most intelligent, instructive conversation I have ever heard on talk radio and I've been listening to talk radio all my life. It was brilliant. He is brilliant. He is just absolutely brilliant. No BS, just the facts. I mean, it was a superlative conversation. Well, please continue, Diana. I'm not going to I'm not going <laughs> to No. Stop I think I've said all I had to say, but I love your show. Well, thank you, Diana. That's awfully nice of you to say. I certainly learned a lot. It's um, it's easy to uh, it's easy to sound interesting when you have somebody as smart as Judge Napolitano. I could talk with him all day. I'd love it if he had a radio station on our a radio show on our station on a regular basis. He used to have a radio show on uh, Fox News Radio. In fact, you know who his co-host was? Brian Kilmeade. They did Brian and the Judge. In fact, I think it was the show that Brian does now, and then it eventually just became the Brian Kilmeade show. But he's great, great on radio, very smart guy, and a very entertaining guy who gets the format of radio because a lot of people are smart, but they don't necessarily get the format. 800-848-WABC. Gary in the Bronx, we have about a minute here. It's all yours. All right, uh, 59 seconds left. How are you doing? Um, look, um, I, w- I wondered uh, why did... Trump decide to go after Assange after Obama sort of left it alone and left him in in England. Uh, what what prompted Donald Trump? I was hoping the judge was going to 
explain what motivated Trump to take it back on. And by the way, before I hang up, David Bowie is also from Brixton, from my neighborhood. That's our great Ah, very interesting. Gary, I don't know the answer to the question. The next time the judge is on or the next time John Kiriako is on, I will ask them that question. It's a fair question, and I probably should have asked it. But my thinking is the Trump administration was stacked with neocons, and it was loaded with establishment Republicans and neocons, and they didn't have an interest in letting Julian Assange go. And I think that's one of the great mistakes Trump has made is some of the appointments that he was that he stacked his administration with. And they wanted to go after Assange. That's what it was, I think. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. You know, um, in the era of people getting canceled, I thought we were about ready to turn the page on the Me Too era, but we absolutely are not. Now, let me state unequivocally that if anybody is going to, uh, you know, uh, assault someone sexually or in any other way, then they're a total creep and they're a criminal and then they sh- you should throw the book at them and uh, they should go to prison. I would love to see chemical castration for them. And I would add that uh, they're completely worthy of public scorn and ridicule. However, I really must say that if someone is not convicted of a crime, if someone's not even charged with a crime, I I have such a huge problem with trial and accusation by media. And we are once again seeing that happen. Actor Chris Knopf, who is uh, Mr. Big on Sex and the City. Again, we're talking about Sex and the City. He's Mr. Big on Sex and the City. Uh, He's in the new reboot of that show. He is now being accused by two women of sexual assault. And these women, and for all I know, every word that they're saying is true. I have no idea. These women are choosing as their means of accusing him to do an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. Now... It's easy for me, as someone that's never been the victim of a sexual assault, to say, hey, why didn't these women go to the police? And that's always my recommendation to people, is that if you're assaulted, you should go to the police, 100%. However, one of these women that described her encounter with Chris Noth said, oh, it's Noth? It's Noth. Yes. Oh, well, that's, that's a weird way of pronouncing it. He must be guilty then. But... One of the women who described their encounter with Chris Noth 
said that uh, she was a young actress at the time and she was just starting out in her career. She didn't want to be blackballed. Okay, I I respect that. I, I give her that. But there's two incidents here. One of these incidents, as described by The Hollywood Reporter, one of these incidents occurred in 2004 and one of these incidents occurred in 2015. The first woman used a pseudonym, Zoe, and she told The Hollywood Reporter that she went on a date with this fella, went back to uh, his uh, apartment, as I understand it, and he sexually assaulted her out there. The second woman in 2015, same situation. They went out to dinner. They had a gay old time. They engaged in some consensual kissing and some other things. And then it got to a point where he, they go back to his apartment, they kiss some more, and all of a sudden she claims that it was not consensual. Now, I'm looking at some of the text messages that she produced from Chris Noth, and I don't know. I mean, I can't make a judgment, but I'm not a judge, and I'm not sitting on a jury, and we don't have any evidence. But here's here's my point here. This woman, Zoe, gets to use a pseudonym and gets to avoid using her real name as she accuses this man, Chris Noth, of the most serious thing that a person can be accused of. I don't think there's a worse crime you could be accused of. Right? Look, if you, you, you get drunk and get in a fist fight with somebody and you beat somebody up pretty good, I mean, people kind of understand that. People could even understand you get you get you get really angry. You get pushed to the point of uh, beyond your limitations and you murder someone. People can understand that. I don't think most people can understand and forgive rape. And yet that's what she's accusing him of here. Now, my point is this. She gets to have her anonymity preserved. His name has been totally tarnished. There is almost every newspaper in America today is carrying the story that he's being accused of sexual assault. He's never been charged with this crime. He is not charged with this crime. He has never been convicted of this crime. I let's say what Chris Noth claims is accurate here, which is that these two encounters were consensual. Let's say. Hypothetically, and again, for all I know, both these women may be telling the truth or, you know, sometimes there are gray areas when it comes to sexual uh, encounter. They could both believe that they're telling the truth. But let's say he's totally innocent and these were sexual encounters. These were consensual sexual encounters. Why does this woman not have to put her name out there and yet Chris Noth's name gets drag through the mud like this. What if he's innocent? To paraphrase Secretary Donovan, where does Chris Noth go to get his reputation back? This is never going to go to court because we live in a society of trial by media. It's trial by clickbait. It's trial by the Hollywood reporter. I mean, he can't produce evidence disclaiming this. How does he prove this didn't occur? I have such a problem with the way sexual assault accusations are handled in this country against celebrities specifically. Now, 
somebody is charged with a crime, that's one thing. But for you just to be able to go to the press, it doesn't sit right with me. And I'm curious how this sits with you. And I don't know anything about Chris Noth. I mean, look, he seems like he was a little bit of a creep. One of these women that he that he believes he consensually had sex with or he claims he consensually had sex with and she says she was sexually assaulted, he was married to another woman while he slept with her. So he's not exactly a Boy Scout here if he's, you know, stepping out on his wife. But there's a big, big difference between infidelity and sexual assault. So I don't know anything about Chris Noth, but I do know that I have a major problem with this. And I'm not sure what can be done about it in an era with, um, you know, in a country with First Amendment. Uh, I don't know what you can do. I mean, I guess he could sue. But I'm curious what changes we can make to society if you, too, believe this is a problem. Let me know. 800-848-WABC. Also, Me too yesterday was Jeff Garland. Now, Jeff Garland is on a show on uh, ABC, no affiliation with this radio station, ABC Television, which is not owned by the station. And it's one of their strongest comedy series, The Goldbergs. Now, I like Jeff Garland. I am a fan of his on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I'm glad he hasn't been Me Too'd off of that show yet, and I hope that doesn't occur. But there was an HR investigation, and apparently, according to sources, a mutual agreement was reached where Garland will not be returning to the show. His exit is effective immediately. There's no allegation he assaulted anyone. There's no allegation that he touched anyone, but there were accusations that, um, and apparently some credibility to the accusation since HR found did this investigation and they wanted him to go, that he was verbally offensive. Garland dismissed the allegations and said he was just being silly as part of his shtick as a comedian. He did note his penchant for dropping the word vagina on the set. According to a source on the show, a camera assistant made a complaint to her department head about Garland's use of the word. After the actor found out, he reportedly put his hands around her. Well, that's certainly a bridge too far, if that's true, and kept saying vagina in her face over and over again. Uh, Overall, Garland's go to jokes that a number of people on the show found offensive were talking about a grandma's genitals and brassiere. That's according to a co-worker. Additionally, he would not address some longtime female crew members by name. Instead, he would use nicknames that some also considered offensive. Now, uh, that's terrible, and I'm sure these women were offended by this, but um, I just hope that nobody on the cast of or the crew of Curb Your Enthusiasm is offended because we can't afford to lose him off that show. He's great on that show. Uh, so there you have it. So that's the latest in the Me Too world. 800-848-WABC. Garland said this was all just jokes that was completely uh, missed. 
And uh, that's that's that. So I guess there are some things you can't joke about anymore. And one of them is uh, anything sexual. 800-848-WABC. Mike is on Staten Island. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Uh, congratulations on the birth of your son. Thank you. Uh, the, as far as the whole Me Too, let's just say it's true and these two women are victims, right? Right. Haven't they been through enough being victims that their name shouldn't be out right away? And that if it's proven innocent and then it's a fake, phony, and false claim, then their names will be released and then they'll be slandered. But as of right now, if it's true, haven't they been through enough of all the years of suffering without saying anything to have their names neared now until it's over? But then why does Chris Noth not get the same veil of anonymity until the charges against him are proven? He's the big star. So so that's what you're saying is if you're a celebrity. I'm saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right, but he is a star. I, that's usually just the way if it was if it was me, because Mike from Staten, nobody knows Mike from Staten Island. My name would have been out there. You know what I mean? The, the guy is always out there. Or, or the woman, whoever, whoever, whoever assaults anyone is the name is always out there. Right. But so uh, that's what. I have a problem with here, Mike. It is well, why? It's well, I'm, uh, I'm, true. I'm, well, haven't they suffered enough? Well, no, no. Well, so if it's true, look, I, mm-hmm. if it, if one of these incidents is just 2015, they can still charge him with a crime for that. That's within the statute right. of limitations, and that's what should happen. They should charge him with a crime. But if, right. but here's the thing: I don't believe that being a celebrity immediately entitles you to, without any evidence, without any conviction, without any criminal charge, I don't believe that entitles anybody that wants to accuse you of anything of getting a bully pulpit just because the person they're accusing is famous. Okay. And there is more, there is a crime that is worse than being accused of rape. I guess maybe child molestation, right? There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's the all one. All of CNN. All of CNN. Uh, the, the, what do you mean all of CNN? Oh, oh, the well, CNN producer that worked with Chris Cuomo. And now, now the other one that Project Veritas came out with the other day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, just getting back to the Chris Noth situation for, yes, for yes. a second, though, Mike. I, I wouldn't have an issue, like, if the Hollywood Reporter wanted to do an article about uh, sexual assault in Hollywood and how prevalent it is. If they wanted right. to give the, these women anonymity and let them use a pseudonym, then let them come up with a pseudonym for the actor that they're also accusing. But it seems like they got you know to what? enjoy an, an anonymity they, and he didn't. You see what I mean? They, yeah, you're right. They, they could have just said a, a cast member from a male cast member from Sex in the City. Right, or or just from a television show, right? They, I, I don't right, right, an H an HBO show, or you know, whatever. But, you but know, and, that, and, and and again, and thanks for the call, Mike. I appreciate the 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 discussion. My issue with this is, it seems like the Hollywood Reporter wanted to benefit from the new publicity that Chris Noth is getting by starring in a hit television show that everyone's talking about, and and I don't like that. If they want to do serious journalism and and shine the light on sexual assault, I think that's great. I think that's long overdue. I'd be the first one to applaud that. But it's not clear to me that's what they're doing. There, It looks to me like they're saying, hey, here's Chris Noth, and here's two women that accused him of rape. I, I don't like that. You know. 
Tell me what you think. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, Six open lines if you want to jump on board and be heard. Now's the time. 800-848-9222. Joan is in Manhattan. Hello, Joan. Oh, hi. Yes, I wanted to say something about what the judge was saying about when you go to a hearing, uh, you cannot answer any questions. If you take the Fifth Amendment, you must not answer anything. Once you answer one question, then you'll be compelled to answer others. And there was a very particular kind of catch-22 side issue about that. In the 1950s, if you remember, well, you don't remember, but you've read about it, I know, the House Un-American Activities Committee, which was investigating Hollywood, all these actors, the Hollywood Ten were the most prominent ones, actors who made the mistake of going to a lecture sometime on socialism. They were curious about socialism. Maybe they even joined up. Maybe they just went to a lecture. Gee, what is this socialism all about? They went to the lecture, and then they were hauled before a committee. Okay, did you go to this lecture? Now, they could claim the Fifth Amendment and say, you know, I refuse to answer on the grounds that may tend to incriminate me. And then the trap that was set for them by the committee was the committee would say, okay, we give you immunity. Anything you say that incriminates you, don't worry about it. We won't use it against you. Now, tell us who else was at that meeting. And that's when that expression, naming names, came into usage. Because you were on the spot now. You could not right. get immunity to not answer questions. Right. About well, that, that's people. exactly right. I mean, it, it, that's why people plead the fifth, is so that they have to get, uh, they have to get, in order to get their testimony, you have to give them immunity. Uh, that criminal trial that I referenced earlier, that's precisely what happened. Right. You get immunity for yourself. Okay, great. You won't go right, to you have prison. to answer you questions. Prosecuted, right. But now they say, who else was at that meeting? Right. Tell us who was there. Right. And you know four or five other people that you recognize, because right. mostly it was people that you knew. Now you're in a, now you're in a, a problem. Right. Well, because I mean, you must tell them yeah, under the we, pain of Right. If you're subpoenaed, if you're subpoenaed, you have to answer questions. I mean, that's what the power of a subpoena is. That's right. Right. And many people went to jail. Uh, Dalton Trumbo, for example. I know they made a movie about his life recent, uh, about 10 years ago called Trumbo. I don't know if you saw it. I did. A great he, film with Brian Cranston. But, I, I, Joan, I, I guess I'm not sure what point you're trying to make. Um, just just information. I just think it's very interesting. It, sure. The catch-22 that you could get into. I mean, you can get yourself out of difficulty, but the committee can force you to reveal things about other people that you might not want to reveal. So that's a little a little, you know, side issue on um, how safe you are to claim the fifth. Fair, that's all. That's all. Right, fair enough. Thank you, Joan. 800-848-9222. I was hoping to get a little bit more reaction and opinion on this Chris Noth story and this whole idea of trial by media, and uh, I'm a little disappointed that no one has yet called in to comment on that. 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Bronx. Hello, Joe. Well, I'll tell you, you have actually a very good point with regard to uh, the First Amendment conflicting with the Sixth Amendment. And for those who don't know, the Sixth Amendment guarantees the assistance of counsel and a speedy public trial. Right, and when you have you when you have ubiquitous media coverage of a, a alleged criminal offense, nothing indicted, nothing formal, but you have the media inundating the public with this story of an alleged sexual assault. You know that's very damning and damaging to a potential jury pool. Should things go to court and things finally go into the legal process, 
You know, so basically those two those two amendments do indeed conflict. You know, um, but I think one thing to mitigate that is that once something is uh, in a bill of particulars and a grand jury votes for a, a for an, that you should bar media coverage in a court. I think that's one thing that you could try to do uh, to mitigate, you know, the mitigate uh, mitigate the media poisoning a potential jury pool. But that's another story. Um, that's not really what I wanted to call in about. Uh, I wanted to comment very briefly on the new police commissioner. Eric Adams and uh, his appointments with regard to law, to law enforcement. Number one, <clears throat> with regard to the NYPD, you know, and community relations and the police, you know, it's it's all well and good that he's appointed that he's making a very solid effort to appoint specifically minorities uh, to uh, law enforcement positions, high-ranking law enforcement positions. But I want to stress something, you know, with regard to uh, the relationship between minorities and police in New York City specifically, you're not going to change a 175-year-old institution overnight well, that's true. By, just simply, by just simply stuffing a lot of uniforms with black and brown, brown faces. What do I mean by that? If you remember back in 2013 with Judge Shira Shilin in the stop and frisk case, you know, clearly the city, excuse me, not the city, but the federal government found the city and the police department guilty of harassing people on a racial basis for no legitimate reason. And again, you had hundreds of thousands of uh, law-abiding black and Hispanic New Yorkers being stopped by the police with no probable cause. But here's the thing. Back then, just as the case is now, most of the cops in New York City then were racial minorities. Mm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. As far as the Shendlin, and thanks for the call, Joe, as far as the Shendlin decision goes, that was, uh, and I followed Judge Shendlin's decision, uh, her career for many years, but, and she's a smart lady, but she clearly had an axe to grind against the cops, okay? She was mistaken. In her decision. Now, I'm not a lawyer who might have questioned a federal judge. I have had lengthy discussions on air and off air with Ray Kelly, who's a brilliant man on this subject. Now, Ray Kelly not, not only uh, is a brilliant law enforcement official as a former police commissioner under two different mayors, but Ray Kelly uh, is has not just a law degree. He has an LLM, an LLM is something that's rarely seen these days, even among lawyers. It's almost like a master's degree for lawyers. And Ray Kelly will take you through this case chapter and verse. This case absolutely would have been overturned on appeal. Once that case, the, the uh, stop and frisk case, went to the Court of Appeals, it absolutely would have been overturned. However, what happened? Bill de Blasio became the mayor. And de Blasio chose not to appeal the decision of Judge Shendlin. So Judge Shendlin's decision stood. So that's what happened there. Had we had a Mayor Bloomberg or a Mayor Giuliani or a Mayor Adams, quite frankly, that would have done the right thing and appealed that decision, that that decision would have been overturned. And we would have seen a lot different history when it came to policing in this city for the last eight years. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, how you doing, Frank? I'm well. How are you? I, I was uh, listening to you, and I agree with you 100% about this Me Too stuff. I mean, look what happened to President Trump. The media was uh, saying he was guilty of all those things. 
and they like Russian collusion and all that stuff. And he was guilty, 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 and everything got overturned. They found out that he was not guilty. And uh, I think they prejudge things too much, and they they discourage people from hearing the whole um, the whole case. And uh, like I said, I I totally agree with you. And uh, by the way, I. I forgot to bring my life change key to oh, work boy. tonight. I'm feeling, oh yeah, exactly. I'm feeling a little sluggish. I, I've been there, man. I know exactly. I know exactly what you're going through. You. I know exactly. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Frank. And you know, I know you swear by it. And I've been telling people my wife can't take it because she's got epilepsy, and it might conflict with some of her medications. But let me tell you something, man. That gives you the pep. Put some pep in your step. I'm telling you. Well, Joe, I'm happy, I'm happy to hear that, and I thank weekend. you for the call. Have a good weekend to you. And actually, what Joe says there is accurate. Um, I am a big proponent of get the tea and uh, get life change tea. But if you drink the life change tea, it does flush everything out of your system. So if you're taking supplements or medication, it does flush those out of your system. So you want to make sure you don't take your medication and then drink your life change tea. If anything, you want to, you want to allow some distance uh, between consuming any of your supplements and taking that life change tea. If possible, you want to take your supplements and your medication in the morning and then drink that life change tea in the evening. And uh, you don't want to do it right before you take that uh, life change tea. But for my money, it does show you how effective – Life Change Tea is at getting all this junk out of your system. If you haven't tried this yet, I think you will like it. It is a wonderful product that gives you a ton of energy without caffeine. It's also all natural. There's no GMOs, no preservatives, no chemicals, nothing like that. And it's only available by going to GetTheTea.com. Use the promo code FRANK when you order and you'll get free shipping Anywhere in these United States. It's getthetea.com, promo code FRANK, free shipping anywhere in these United States. So try it. I think you'll like it. Let me say hello to Joe in Manhattan. Hello, Joe. Hello. 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 Um, yeah, I wanted to tell you I have a, a little different take on the Fifth Amendment and the House on american Activities Committee, um, which another caller brought up. I think that the Fifth Amendment is a sad joke because you take it, you get the Fifth. If you don't rat your friends out, then you go to jail. And it's that simple. As they say, why go to the pen if you can send a friend? And remember, your co-host, Rudy Giuliani, was key in ruining many people's lives by hanging out with the McCarthyites and Phil Cohn. So, First of all, it was Roy Cohn. Okay, Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn. Cohn. Uh, and do you remember who Roy Cohen's other attorney was on that? And first of all, that was not the House on American Activities Committee. That was Joseph McCarthy's Senate yeah, Committee on, on on Investigations. Do you know how many people's lives they ruined? Yes, I do. Uh, but do you remember who who to turn your friends in? Do you remember who Roy Cohen's other attorney was? Who his cohort was on that committee? Joe McCarthy's other assistant, Giuliani. 
you think in 1957 you believe Rudy Giuliani was the assistant to Joseph McCarthy? No, I'm McCarthy. not aware of, of that. Okay, well, the other one was uh, Robert F. Kennedy. And it is very interesting that for all the smearing of Roy Cohn that goes on, sometimes we forget to mention Roy Cohn's little buddy in those uh, in those hearings, Robert F. Kennedy. And it's very interesting. Also, you know, Joe McCarthy and the Kennedys had a long-standing history. Joe Kennedy was a big funder of Joseph McCarthy. And when the Senate voted to censure Joe McCarthy, you know who didn't vote yes? John F. Kennedy. Now, John F. Kennedy was laid up in the hospital, but he had told friends that he would not have voted to uh, to censure Joe McCarthy. All right. Hey, we're going to do the $1,000 minute in just a minute. If you think you have what it takes to answer 10 questions in 60 seconds, then you can give me a call at 1-800-848-9222. And if you are the seventh caller to 1-800-848-WABC, you will get an opportunity to answer 10 questions in 60 seconds. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the other side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Start your morning with Frank Morano on 77 WABC. We try and give away $1,000 if you can answer 10 questions in 60 seconds. It's time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win $1,000. All right. Here's your host, Thank you, Chris Libertini. Now, I have taken it upon myself to make this contest even easier to win money at. You answer all 10 questions in 60 seconds, you will win $1,000. If you answer nine questions in 60 seconds correctly, you will win $500. If you answer eight questions in 60 seconds correctly, you will win You will win $250. And I think that is very, very doable, very, very generous. And you know what? I'll, I'll go even further, even if I have to pay for this myself. Um, if you answer seven questions correctly in 60 seconds, you can win $125. So all you have to do is answer seven questions and you win something. And if you make it to all 10, you'll win the thousand. Yeah, let's meet today's contestant, Paul on Long Island. Hello, Paul. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm well, Paul. You're familiar with the contest? I am, yes. Okay, great. So the trick is not to get flustered. The trick is not to get nervous. And uh, they're all relatively easy questions. There's one that's kind of tricky uh, towards the end, but I, I, you should be able to get it. But the trick is not getting flustered. So um, when you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next one. And obviously, if you answer a question incorrectly, Matt will play the incorrect buzzer. You ready to go? 
Yes, sir. All right. The uh, timer is going to begin after I ask the first question. What is the first month of the year? January. How many cents is a dime worth? Ten. Who wrote Romeo and Juliet? Shakespeare. In the nursery rhyme, who sat on a wall before having a great fall? Humpty Dumpty. What professional sport does LeBron James play? Basketball. What is my son's first name? Carmine. What is the nearest planet to the sun? Mercury. Stephanie Germanata is the real name for which music superstar? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Stephanie Germanata is the real name for which music superstar? Uh, I'm going to take a guess. Lady Gaga? That's right. Which president made Christmas a national holiday? I'm going to take another guess here. Uh, JFK? Uh, that is incorrect, but you are out of time. That was Ulysses S. Grant who made uh, made Christmas a national holiday. But you got eight correct. So that, by my count, that gives entitles you to two hundred fifty dollars. Um, so, uh, Paul, we can send Great. you. Th- we'll send you the two hundred fifty dollars. Give uh, Philip your information, your name, your address, social security number, so on and so forth. And I will. Uh, I either I will pay you or the station will. But congratulations, you're the first person to win money in the contest. I appreciate. It. Thank you very much. Congratulations on the birth of your son. Thank you very much. Make sure you get. Um, Paul's email, too, so I can Venmo him if need be. All right. Uh, hang on, Paul. Thank you very, very much. Well, all right. That's good stuff there. Now, um, so that's exciting. I'm glad somebody finally won this contest. So I am hoping the station will pay, that I don't have to go in my pocket for that $250. But I'm prepared to do so. I'm uh, going to put my my uh, my money where my mouth is on that one. But uh, isn't it more exciting when you can win smaller amounts? I think so. So it's uh, all good. All in the name of good radio. All right. So congratulations to Paul on Long Island. Meantime, uh, it is also time for the 77 WABC clip of the day. Uh, today's clip of the day comes to us from which program, Matt? What, what is today's clip of the day? I'm not hearing you uh, if you're talking. It is coming from Rita Cosby. Rita Cosby, yes. This was uh, a little bit of her interview with Karen Hinton, who was Bill de Blasio's former press secretary she also has a book out about um penis politics that's the name of it and she's one of the cuomo accusers as well here's a little bit of their conversation from the other day you know karen i have to ask you first your reaction to this big news today that the ethics board is saying that cuomo needs to return over five million bucks what are your thoughts i'm glad that's what they are insisting upon i have no idea about the legality of it whatsoever but i know from my heart that it's the right thing to do to turn back that five million dollars and hopefully put it toward a better nursing home system and if not in some ways saying we're sorry families who lost so many people in nursing home deaths because of COVID. 
So that was Rita Cosby talking with Karen Hinton. Uh, Rita does a great job. She's got great guests every night. She's on every night from 10 p.m. to midnight, and uh, she does a great job. Last night she had on former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. That was a real eye-opening interview, and uh, I enjoyed hearing that discussion. And every day she does a great job. So be sure to tune into her tonight and every night from 10 p.m. until midnight. A terrific terrific radio show. Meantime, I have been negligent in covering one of the most important stories in America. We are in the midst of America held held hostage the cream cheese crisis day 6. Fortunately, there is some good news on this front. Now, I have called on President Biden to release the strategic cream cheese reserve. I have called on Governor Hochul to implement a system where people with odd and even numbered social security numbers can buy cream cheese on alternating days. I've called on the nonprofit sectors to step up and start collecting cream cheese and getting cream cheese to some needy families. So far, all of my pleas have been ignored. And yet, finally, there is one entity that is stepping up to the plate and helping us get through this crisis. Kraft. That's right, Kraft. Kraft is using its cream cheese shortage as a marketing opportunity, and I think this is great. I'm all for this. If they're doing this for publicity, I'm going to give them publicity. For just a few days this holiday season, a limited number of people will be able to spend $20 on dessert and charge it to Kraft, the owner of Philadelphia cream cheese. The premise... People who can't bake cheesecakes because they can't find cream cheese can get another baked good on Kraft's dime. Here's how it works. People interested in the offer can visit a special website set up by Kraft on December 17th and 18th. Up to 18,000 of them will be able to nab the right to get reimbursement for a holiday treat. They'll be able to submit recipes to the company a few weeks later. So for Kraft, the campaign is a way to soften the blow of empty cream cheese shelves, although my wife did find some yesterday, and keep customers thinking about Philadelphia cream cheese without souring the brand. I think this is way clever. So understand what Kraft is doing here. They are offering you $20 not to buy cream cheese. And to make a dessert with something else. I think that's wonderful. I'm all for that. Good for you, Kraft. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I would encourage you to follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash Moranofan. I post a lot of interesting articles on there. At least I think they're interesting. I post some interesting videos on there. Uh, we're on Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. If you ever miss any portion of this show, I do suggest that you subscribe to the podcast. You can listen in the podcast by going to wabcradio.com or you can just subscribe to it by going to any podcast app spotify itunes google podcasts whatever just say or search the other side of midnight with frank morano and then hit the subscribe button and you'll automatically get the podcast of the show downloaded to your phone 
each and every day. It's a great way to listen. I know a lot of people that listen in exactly that manner, and we're we're creeping up on the podcast ranks. Now, I thought that maybe I was going to be on Saturday and Sunday morning this weekend, but um, I was informed that Curtis Lewa is actually going to be on live, both Saturday night starting at midnight and Sunday morning, uh, no, excuse me, Saturday night starting at 1 a.m., and or Saturday morning starting at 1 a.m., and Sunday morning starting at midnight right after Tony Orlando. Now, Curtis Lewa was listening to us discuss him being on at that time, so he sent me an SMS text message, and this is Curtis Lewa's current radio schedule, and I think he's incorrect about, about this here. Um, all right, okay, this is what he's saying. Friday, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Is that official? Do we know anything? May, I, I see. I can't tell with Curtis because he's <laughs> so he's so um, not great with communications technology. I can't tell if this is a typo or if this is official. All right. So Curtis claims he's going to be on Friday, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Oh, maybe it's part of the radiothon. It probably is True. part of the radiothon. All right. So okay, that makes sense. So it'll be on today from 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Then he's going to be on from 1 a.m. To 5 a.m. following Dominic Carter um, on Saturday morning. Then he's going to be on Saturday afternoon from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Then he's going to be on Sunday morning, midnight to 5 a.m. Then Sunday afternoon from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. with Chris Hahn. And then Sunday evening from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. So that is. If I, my memory, if, if my arithmetic holds water here, that is 22 hours of Curtis from Friday to Sunday. Uh, the WABC really does stand for we're always broadcasting Curtis. I mean, wow, that's a lot of Curtis. They need a little bit of a break at some point. Uh, 800-848-9222. Brian in Denver has been patiently holding. Hello, Brian. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good, good, good. What's on your mind? Uh, congratulations again. Uh, uh, I just called a little earlier. Uh, it seemed like you were interested in discussing the topic of uh, false accusations and uh, uh, how to address uh, being in, in that situation. And I have been in that situation. But it's a very uh, depressing topic, and it, it seems like you've moved on to some more upbeat topics. Now, so, All right, well, uh, do you have anything you, upbeat that you want to add, Brian? I just uh, congratulations uh, again on uh, Carmine, and uh, I did get a uh, email from you that I believe you probably sent out to your uh, Facebook group. It looks like it's about a ten-page uh, party invite. Is that a, a correct? That's right. On New Year's Eve, are you going to come out from Colorado for that, Brian? Well, I, I love uh, New York. That's home. Uh, so any excuse to get back to the city, uh, I jump on. Uh, but uh, given uh, the, all the uh, fear about the uh, virus and everything, uh, who knows if the planes will even be flying in January. At, well, at this well, again, it's December. Brian, thank you very much for the call. Appreciate your nice wishes. Yeah, if uh, people don't know what uh, Brian is talking about there, I finally was able to finish – 
this year's New Year's Eve Eve email, and I must say it is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. It is uh, – it's actually – he said it was 10 pages. I think it's actually closer to 11 pages. It is – there are books that are shorter than this email. And uh, if you want a copy of this email, you can just email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. For anyone that did request a copy of the email, I did send it to you. Uh, So it might be in your spam folder. So just check your spam or your promotions, and it might be in there. We're throwing a big party in Atlantic City on December 30th, New Year's Eve. Eve. So uh, it's funny. I I was thinking to myself, so I rented an 11-room house. For, for this night in Atlantic City. And so far, only one person has asked for one of the rooms. So at this point, I'm doing some quick math here. I, I could b- get burned in terms of renting this house and not having people wanting to rent rooms. Then I could still get burned with this Rayo's auction that I won. And I might be uh, on the hook for $250 to Paul on Long Island. So... I I actually have lost money working this week, but uh, but it's all good. You know what? In my view, welcome it, back. Yeah, exactly. It's all good. In my view, it incentivizes me to uh, do well at the uh, baccarat tables when I do return to Atlantic City. Right? Although I guess that's what desperate gamblers do. They get in the hole and they said, "Oh, I just have to play a little to win." See, that's why when it comes to gambling. I don't know what the trick is. The trick is not to play, right? I mean, you, you, the house always wins in the end. But my trick is, what I do is, you have to have a set number that you're going to stop at. And usually my set number is winning 1500 I win around $1,500. I'll, maybe I'll push it to 1800 have enough to tip the dealers and stuff, and then I walk away. But given the fact that I have this house that no one is renting, I might pay Paul $250 and... I have this uh, Rayo's auction that I won. I may have to try and up that to maybe 2500 this time around, and hopefully my luck holds out. 800-848-9222. Although, you know, now that the dollar is worthless and inflation is running rampant, what does it mean anyway, right? Nobody can afford anything anyway. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just uh, four minutes. One, two, three, four open lines. If you want to start queuing up and be heard for 15 seconds, it's 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Speaking of inflation, if you want to break the back of inflation, you really need to make it happen with gold. Gold, silver, precious metals. Uh, I'm going to ask John Katsimatidis if I could start getting paid in gold. Rather than get cash for, you know, working every two weeks, I'm going to ask him, unless Chad, it's probably more of a Chad thing. I'm going to ask him, can I just get paid in that equivalent in gold? Because the dollar is going to be worth less the next week. The gold is going to be worth more. Now, maybe you're in a position to do that with your employer, but if you're not then call Legacy Precious Metals because they can help you do that with respect to your retirement account. Inflation is skyrocketing. It's worse than ever. And if you have an existing retirement account, think about rolling it into a gold or a silver IRA and think about doing it with Legacy Precious Metals. Gold really should be a part of your 
portfolio. And Legacy is the company that you can trust because they give you unbiased information based on your individual situation. Contact Legacy Precious Metals today. Write this number down, 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. WABC. Thank you, Andy B., for producing our terrific theme song. Uh, Andy was on hold earlier. I didn't get to him. We had a lot going on. Uh, but, uh, Andy, if you're out there now, now's your time to call because we're going to give everybody 15 seconds to call in and say whatever they like. 800-848-WABC. One open line if you want to queue, on bo- queue, queue up to be heard for 15 seconds. Now, th- this segment only works if it's if everybody participates, right? If it's the same people calling every day, it can kind of be a little boring. You have the, you know, Go Buchanan Go guy, the Floridor guy, the uh, Sid's moron guy, the, um, you know, the Stonewall Jackson guy, you know, we like to get some different people on here as well. So if you're different, if you've never heard before, if you've never been heard before, be heard for 15 seconds. Now's the time. 800-848-WABC. You know, just going back into the New Year's Eve Eve situation. So uh, the the wine and cheese portion of the party is not in Atlantic City. It's actually in Ventnor, New Jersey, which is the neighboring community. And I had asked the mayor, I'd want the mayor of Ventnor, because she's a great lady, Beth Holtzman, I had asked her to come and kick things off. And I guess in my text message to her, I said, oh, we want to honor you. So I meant we want to, I don't know, do a a thing for her as she welcomes everybody to Ventnor. But she got this email and and she saw that there are other honorees. She said, wait a minute, I thought I was going to be the honoree. So um, I feel bad now because I think she feels a little dissed. So I got to I got to smooth this over. I have to think of some grand, elaborate gesture when she does welcome everybody, assuming she's still willing to. And then uh, we'll still have our regular honorees. I don't know. I've got to figure something out here. This is, see, this is exactly the kind of things that I need to be stressing about. All right. 1-800-848-9222. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Let me begin with Craig in Connecticut. Hello, Craig. Hi. Listen. You know... Rush Limbaugh died, okay? 
and for Bo Snurley to write a book and and profit over his death, and then get a, a radio show on the, your station, he's a scumbag. 800-848-9222. Mark is in the Bronx. Uh, yes, Maya, your station is running an ad about the Cuomo not ordering the nursing homes to take the people. My understanding was he, that he, if they didn't take them, that they were going to face, you know, uh, licensing problems. Joe in Orange County. Frank, I think you got a problem. You ever hear of that guy Craig Kahn on the fan? He lost everything from gambling. It's time to go get your shine box, Frankie. <laughs> Tom in the Bronx. Yes, uh, Frank, I'd like to say if you want to know anything about... Uh, if, if you want to know anything about these tornadoes, there's a company down in Florida that builds uh, dome houses. And dome houses... Willie in New Jersey... Yes, I just want to set the record straight for all the boys and girls. Santa Claus is not a homosexual. And uh, go, Brandon, go. 800-848-9222. Lou is in the Bronx. Yeah, hi, Frank. I was just wondering, are you and Juliet officially off from 5 o'clock? Yes, go back and listen to the podcast from 1 a.m. I addressed that. Jack in Manhattan. Hey, just real quick. I don't like what Eric Adams did with picking someone just because they're a woman. He should have picked the most qualified commissioner for the job. Don't pick based on gender and, and sex. Uh, you know, I'm going to comment on that Sunday on the Cats Roundtable. I'll also comment on here Monday. I haven't fleshed it out, really, because we've been busy. Pauline is in Flushing. I'd like to know how to get, get invited to your New Year's Eve, Eve party. I'm going to put you on hold. Philip will give you my email. Hang on. Uh, Fred is in Yonkers. Hey, Frank, I was playing racquetball with my friend from Indonesia. He trips, and he hits the wall. His knee breaks open, and I said, hey, buddy, do you want a Band-Aid? And he goes, no, a Banda Ache. Not bad. Pete in Manhattan. Sizzle moron, sizzle moron, sizzle moron. Jim in Brooklyn. Hey, hats off to Nicole. She went toe-to-toe with Errol Lewis last night. Kicked his butt. You know, it's funny. I, I saw that interview, and I texted her. She called me right after and she was kind of misled about what they were talking about. He told her, that she was told they were going to talk about infrastructure, and they ended up talking about January 6th. I agree with you. She did very well. Uh, Troy is in New Jersey. Yes. Wherever there is crime, perversion, subversion in the federal government, Jews are involved. Oh, boy. Uh, Amir in Boston. One gay line saw another gay line. He was swinging his tail, and he said, Roar. Carol in New Jersey. Hi there, Frank. I loved your interview with John Manelli, and I just wanted to mention I voted for Rush and uh, Bob Grant for the Radio Hall of Fame. Steve in Kingston. Follow the money, people. Open, open your eyes. Come on. Let's go, Brandon. This guy's a mess. Raji in New York City. 
in view of the constant sticks from Curtis, including his disinforming us that Carmine was born at 13 pounds, at what point do we uh, ever believe in his ubiquitous commercials? Thank, Thank you, you, Raji. All right, that slams the lid on things for today. What a week it's been. You want to stay in touch with me, Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. I'm going to be on the Cats Roundtable with our owner, John Katsimatidis, Sunday morning. I'll also be back here, 1 a.m. Monday morning. i got some great stuff planned for next week. I, I shudder to even tell you what, it, what, what it, I have planned, but trust me, it's going to be good. The WABC Early News with Frank Diaz is next. Frank Moreno, good day.